Good evening, everyone. It's great to see we have a standing room only crowd for item 6D, budget resolution to correct scrimmage error. <laughs> Ms. Brooks, are you ready? We'll now call to order the Tuesday, February 19, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council at 7 p.m. Uh, roll call. Uh, Chief Spalding. Councilor Herman. Here. Councilor Brownson. Here. Councilor West. Here. Here. Mayor Jones. Here. Uh, we begin tonight with a presentation uh, from Mr. David Worth, Principal Architect from Hanbury Eddy on the library renovation plan. And the purpose for this presentation is uh, a refresh since we have a new council. We have three uh, new members of the city council from the last time a presentation was made. And uh, the council will be having a work session. Uh, preparatory to goal setting tomorrow at one, from 1 to 5 here, and then goal setting session is next week, uh, Monday, Monday uh, from 8 a.m. until we're done, which will probably go most of the day here in Chambers, and that's open to the public too. And since last year, one of our goals dealt with the library, the council may choose to make the library a priority again for the strategic goals for the next year, so we wanted to get everyone on the same uh, sheet of music so without further ado, uh, Mr. Warner. Mayor, Councilors. Mayor, Councilors, Directors, and uh, City Manager, thank you for uh, inviting me here tonight. And I was shocked. I thought everyone was here to support the library. And they are, which is great. So um, I'll go through a, a short slide presentation. Maybe turn it on. Oh, there you go. Okay, that's the key one. All right, so um, in early 2018, we started to work with uh, Jimmy and Ann at the library along with a, um, an advisory group. and. Uh, part of the first step was to assess the existing building and then uh, start to review the program and what, what was the potential for the library. And um, we kind of have a moniker of, but it's about Astoria, it's about the mid-century library uh, that is on the existing site, and it's about the 21st century uh, and bringing those two into uh, the modern era of, era of libraries. And so uh, we basically took um, a series of publications and reports that were made to the library by Luke Metz that um, involved a lot of, of uh, uh, questionnaires and input from the community about what they wanted in the library. And we took that information, had several work sessions, you can see here, and then started to develop some solutions. And in the middle slide, um, there are several options that we looked at of, of how to reorganize the library uh, based on those reports and uh, the feedback from um, the public. And so the existing condition is the library is, a, is really a timepiece. 1967 uh, was very much um, uh, supported by the local community in terms of fundraising and uh, custom furniture and all kinds of, of personal items that were donated uh, in kind to the library. It's got um, what we call maybe not the um, most outgoing personality per se in terms of uh, <laughs> uh, windows and eyes into the building. but. It does have a lot of good bones and a lot of interesting components to it. Uh, Eva and Ernest uh, Brown 
were the architects um, and were longtime <coughs> residents of, of Astoria and did quite a bit of work. And this is one of their, their more uh, well-known works. And so it was about retaining those elements that we felt were really defining of that era, such as the light fixtures are, are really quite interesting, the uh, veterans uh, memorial room, flag room. Um, and actually the, the exterior has, is really interesting as a material. It's a, a kind of a precast uh, uh, concrete with like these marble chunks in it. And so it's very, very unique. So we wanted to respect that, but also we wanted to um, bring it into, like I said, 21st century. But the other side of the existing conditions were they weren't, there were some that weren't so great. Um, kind of um, uh, restrooms that did not meet ADA, um, mechanical and plumbing systems that were not functioning and were well beyond their usable lives of 50 years. Um, a roof that leaked periodically, as Jimmy can attest to him and his bucket brigade at times, uh, kind of taking on the, the, the leaks. Um, and uh, a system that um, overall was not with the most efficient in terms of, of, of systems, uh, and also ADA access into the building throughout that. So taking that, here's the existing first floor, as many of you know. Um, there's a large reading room in blue on the north side. Um, the children's room is on the light blue on the southwest corner. A lot of staff area in the middle, um, and some bathrooms and things that and then the flag room, uh, memorial room on the veterans memorial room on the, on the south side. So, um, and then many of you may or may not have been in the lower level, the basement, um, which is actually quite large and quite tall in terms of ceiling. So our observation was you have a 9,000 square foot library and an 18,000 square foot building. So why can't we look at the potential for, for use of that? And so uh, that's what we started to do. And um, the new plan is actually something like this, where we reorganize the, uh, the entire first floor, and the, the main move is, is there a laser on this in any way? No. no? Um, Feel free to okay. walk up. So um, the main move is the reading room um, stays pretty much where it is, of course, but uh, taking part of that floor out and letting light flood into the, the lower level so that you don't feel like it's actually a basement per se. And that is, there's another advantage to that is that by opening up this north facade, it actually addresses the street in a much more friendly way that we talked about earlier that it doesn't actually do now. Let's natural light in, so it cuts down on your um, the amount of um, electrical lighting that you need um, in terms of, uh, and, um, and then that re relates to your utility bills every month, right? So, natural light that floods the uh, first floor and actually makes its way into the basement. Um, and then the other move is uh, kind of, there's the book drop is on that, actually there's an entrance on the south side now. We've kind of closed that off, created an ADA entrance along um, the, the West Street and consolidated entrances so that we gain back more square footage for actual use instead of having two entrances. Uh, and then the flag, Veterans Memorial Room and Flag Room is uh, now, we felt it was such a great room that we didn't want to cut that up. So we just um, allotted that to staff uh, in, in that gray area on the south side, and then uh, created restrooms in the middle. And then the thing that you don't have now in the library are, which is a main difference between older libraries and newer libraries, is you don't have 
meeting rooms and study rooms. And so that's a major component of, of the new library. Those green and light green areas that border the, the darker blue are, one is the director's office, uh, which you'll be having a lot of meetings in there. Um, and then there are study rooms and then a teen kind of, uh, what we call a homaga, a place to hang out, mess around, and geek out, is what they call it. So uh, we hope that's exactly what they start to do. Um, and then the next element is actually what do you do with the basement at that point. So that blue area in the middle uh, is the new uh, Veterans Memorial flag room. And then the lighter blue to the left is that area that the, the reading room looks down into. And I've got some renderings I can show you that. Um, and then to the extreme corner in the upper left is a, uh, a media lab where you can actually start to uh, make music, make videos, um, have a green uh, wall to, um, and, and then computers to uh, help you, um, and primarily teens and whoever else wants to use that facility. But it's, a, it's more and more common to have those kinds of amenities um, and expand the kind of literacy that, that libraries are offering. We've got a traditional literacy of how to read and write, but 21st century libraries offer a wider spectrum of literacy in terms of, um, of uh, an example of that is uh, video and, um, and media and music. And in the lower left are two kind of collaboration rooms, again, for meetings of, for people up to eight. The light green area is the Astoriana Historic Collection Room, um, which was uh, part of the, uh, I think, feedback of the program. In the gray area are all support spaces with the orange area being a, um, um, a compact um, collection area. Ruth, what did we call that recently? Only that are retrospective. A retrospective collection. Right. And so it's not open tw at all hours, but it is open uh, to the public to go back in there. And you can also request a book, uh, and staff will go get it for you at some point. So the reason for that is if we go back to this upper floor plan, um, you won't have as many stacks as you had before that are out all the time. So the book, the book collection will be somewhat reduced, but you do have access to that same size collection. And so uh, we've basically used the, the basement to do that, to kind of supplement the collection. Um, and so here are some just real uh, kind of, uh, sort of what it could look like. Um, and there on the left is the, is the kind of the new glazing uh, storefront that opens the library to uh, Duane Street. Um, let's natural light in, as I talked about, and then on the main entrance side to the west, there's another uh, area that we've taken out to let uh, let eyes on the street have a much more uh, close connection between interior and exterior. Uh, it's a little bit of a terrace that uh, on the right it slopes up just a little bit from what would be an ADA parking spot or two, and then connects in front of the uh, existing where approximately the existing main entrance to the library is and, and those steps that are there now. Um, and so those, that's what it looks like on kind of outside. So keeping a lot of those um, traits of the, of the materials that I talked about, that kind of marble and crusted concrete that's so interesting and, and when it's clean, it really refracts the light in a very interesting manner. Um, but, um, and so then on the inside, Here's that main reading room um, with the kind of the light fixture gridded ceiling, which is really a period timepiece. We'll substitute um, LED light fixtures for the existing ones, which will be much more efficient than the, the current light fixtures. But it'll look the same, basically. 
Um, and then you kind of get a sense of the railing and how that overlooks into the, into the uh, lower level. Uh, and then looking back, you can kind of see down into the lower level, there are these bars, te technology bars that um, will have computers on them. And then you can see beyond, in the background there on the left, there are, those are the, that's the teen room, the two meeting rooms, and then uh, Jimmy's office, so he can be the purveyor of goings-on in the library. Um, and then looking back up into the uh, first floor, you can kind of see this stair that cascades down. Uh, the large windows are on the upper part of that wall to the right. The uh, veterans uh, memorial flag room is to the left there, and those are sliding glass doors that can open up and basically have a, a large reception or function down in that area. And then a bit of a kind of a display gallery uh, along those walls on the right. Um, and then just to kind of talk about how do we bring Astoria into it a little bit and how do we um, bring the uh, century into it. Um, this is a, just a diagram of that wall that kind of winds its way through. Um, the red part up at the top is where the teens are, the meeting rooms, Jimmy's office. It kind of takes a right turn into a big display wall um, in the lobby and then turns again and defines the separation between the lobby and the children's area. So it's just kind of a, an idea at this point. We didn't go into any great detail about uh, the specifics of the wall, but basically it starts to uh, integrate vertical elements that are part of the community in terms of piers uh, and um, tall masts, uh, mass off tall ships, and then of course the verticality of the uh, surrounding forests. And on the right is a, a very famous uh, kind of 1960s um, um, storage um, and display unit that would kind of be meshed with this idea. Um, and it would wind its way through like I talked about on the first floor. And then the children's area, um, we talked about how to make it, you know, about Astoria and, and about the 60s. And I don't know how many of you have done string art in your, in your life, but that's a very 60s thing, right? <laughs> so, uh, but we've all done it since then. Um, and so that's that, that image on the upper right, this idea that string art um, is, is connected in some ways, in our minds, was connected to the, um, what's the children's story? Sorry, Jimmy. Where the wild things are. Yeah, where the wild things are. And uh, there's a whole, and that is Anne's favorite book, uh, children's book of all time. Huh? My children's librarian's favorite. Yeah, children's librarian's favorite uh, of all time. And so we, we thought that was an interesting kind of connection. And then we, the boat part was the interesting part to us. It's about the journey of going across an unknown. And so um, we kind of married that idea of the mast and the rigging of the mast with the string art. And then um, the bottom photo is just a kind of a random uh, Google search of something that had something similar to what we would be talking about, which is this kind of to make the children's area really, really intriguing for kids and just to put them in, immerse them in an environment that is really about their own like locality. Um, but this blue area is, uh, to the upper part, is uh, part of the collection with these kind of floating elements um, meant to evoke a little movement and a little bit of uh, rhythm. And then the bottom part of that is the, uh, the technology area for kids. And then the second part is um, this idea of the river uh, flowing through it and again with the string but actually being a little more specific in terms of nautical knots and we talked about you could actually have um, lessons for kids and um, be an educational tool but also be very much as I said about this this uh, community 
And then um, finally, this we've got this one little niche that's that was kind of not left over, but it's very intentional. That um, is basically on access with the entrance into the children's area, and we felt this could be one of those really small scaled spaces where kids feel it's theirs and it's it's to their proportion and. and Maybe adults aren't quite as comfortable in there as kids are. Maybe you don't have to quite stoop, but you know it's not it's not a ten foot ceiling. It's maybe a seven foot ceiling or something, and then tiered seating inside it. And it would, it would evoke the idea of being maybe a ship's captain's cabin or something like that. And uh, and then the idea that on the right side of that yellow area, uh, kids could look back in and see staff uh, working and getting and books coming in and and get a sense of of that activity uh, behind behind them. And then. Um, and then the uh, idea of the story room, which takes over most of the what, what is now the current children's section. And this would be reserved for large, um, well, semi-large um, groups of kids and, and parents to uh, uh, come for story time. And we thought about this idea of the mural and being the story forest idea. Um, and the bottom is just happened to be like a studios is coming out with a, a, a animated film about Bigfoot in the Northwest. So we borrowed their um, image, but it was very evocative of forest, and and so it could be a mural around the four sides of, of that um, that also evokes and references the uh, where, where the wild things are. And the upper right is a is a mural in a library we did several years ago for Shoe Park and in Hillsboro. And so it would be it, actually a larger scale than that, but um, just to give you a sense of the vibrancy of that, uh, of that uh, mural. And then, um, of course, then after the design's all done, then uh, as we're working on the design, we don't finish it, we kind of do check-ins of what's, the, what's this going to cost, right? And so the current project budget projected out through uh, mid-2020, I believe, what is, uh, so it's an escalation factor. So every year things go up, right? Our utility bills go up, everything goes up. So uh, the, the base construction cost estimate is basically four and a half million dollars with soft costs and that's like um, furniture and furnishings and um, fees for various consultants like myself. And um, also um, that the escalation fee is in there. And so total, that's basically $6.7 million for the project budget. And the little footnote at the bottom is really a number that we wanted to isolate and, and help you understand that if the library stays where it is and you don't do anything, that just to have it survive, there's about $900,000 in improvements that has to happen anyway. So, but you would still be left with the same library you have now. So that expense is not a small expense at all. So marrying those two together and leveraging that 900000 into uh, a, a, a more full-scale renovation is the starting point for the discussion. And then, uh, and so that's it, discussion at that point. Uh, well, thank you uh, very much, Mr. Work, and Ms. Metz for your, your work also. Uh, I, I uh, had the same reaction as I did, a, was it over a year ago? Uh, about, a year, about a year ago and even a year before. It's, I think it's a brilliant, a visionary design. I think it's beautiful. It'll be a showcase for the community. And also, I think it's very practical and would serve a highly functional and effective need for the whole community for another several decades to come. Uh, and I hope that we're able to find a way to, to make this happen. I would just note for my uh, colleagues, um, although there's there's at least one member of the foundation here, we, we didn't ask them to do a presentation tonight 
on uh, on fundraising or financing. So it wasn't envisioned that we were going to talk finance or had a funding tonight. It was more just to look at the design, architecture, have the chance to ask ask any questions of our guests uh, that you might have or discuss amongst ourselves just the, the design and what we what we see. But I would envision that in the very near future, beginning next week at our goal setting session and possibly a follow-on work session is if that's where we'll have the nitty-gritty discussion about how to pay for for this uh, plan if we want if we choose to proceed with it. I've got some questions. Sure. First, I love the design, and I love the concepts for the interior of the building. Um, I love the way you have the north-facing window that will bring you a lot of light. And I also really appreciate that the wheelchair ramp seems um, like a part of the design, like it was always there. So it doesn't look like an add-on. It actually complements the design. So I really appreciate that. Um, what happens to the mezzanine? The mezzanine um, actually goes away. And the reason it, it does is because it, it's a prefabricated um, system that we asked our structural engineers and actually um, Steelcase uh, is a company that um, provides um, um, current um, library shelving. And I think it might, it actually, as I recall, it was by them back in the 50s. And so, um, they, we consulted and there's no way to really adjust it and because it's, the, the, each stack uh, is a set dimension apart and I don't know if you've ever noticed the little kind of verticals that come up, the little metal, the, those support the next floor and that floor, those sections are very specific to that dimension so it can't really be adjusted uh, to make it wider and so uh, for, for, to meet current accessibility standards, right? And so um, at that point, uh, I mean, we looked at it very early on, and, and we're thinking, of, can, how can we keep it? How can we adjust it? And so once we determined that it, it wasn't really uh, easily, in fact, you can't really adjust it unless you spend a lot of money on it. And so we just felt it wasn't putting good money in, in a, or money in a good way. And so um, we felt also if you kept the mezzanine, then you have to get up to it, right? Provide accessibility to that. And so we felt if we're going to have an elevator, we'd rather it serve about 9,000 square feet than about 600 square feet. So we kind of made those evaluations, and in the end, it became really um, clear that if by, by using the basement and the auxiliary space for the rest of the collection, we actually could have more collection than we have now. So there will be an elevator to the basement? Yes, there is, absolutely, right. And I don't know if this is the time to talk about this, but um, Mr. Pearson, will that Having the basement and an extra 9,000 square feet, will that require more staff? Counselor, I can't answer that at this point. I have things aligned to where, and we've talked about security of the area, the building, and, and what that would entail because we are having a larger space. But That's fine, I just thought I'd ask. Yeah. Yeah. Let me also maybe provide an answer to that. When, the city council provided direction to move forward with this. The anticipation was there would not be budgetary funds to be able to provide additional staff. And so that was one of the things that, while there would be great to be able to have, um, you know, we needed to look at a plan that could move forward to remedy 
and potentially expand the building and understand that the additional. That's that's one of the reasons I asked. One of the you know, things that may not be additional funds for staffing, or for additional staffing. And the uh, interesting thing about the, the way the design works and, and the, what was programmed to go down there, they're all, they're all specific spaces. So primarily it'd be on a reservation system. So you know who's going down there when. And so you can do an easy sweep by just looking. Uh, and then that's the other reason that we had um, the bars at the, I don't say bars, you know, the counters uh, that overlook the, um, that space below. So citizens can help kind of monitor the space and. Uh, kind of report if anything's going on. So the openness and combined with the types of spaces that are down there, we felt were very, very manageable for current staff. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I understand that having recently uh, toured the library, you can't help but come away impressed by the amount of unused space yeah. in the building as it exists now. And um, uh, I like your design, and I like the idea of having a place for all of the treasures that are now stuck downstairs because there's no way to display them in the limited space upstairs to actually be available for the public to see and use. Uh, it's, it's impressive. Thank you. Uh, I, I've seen this and, and uh, I, I really like design too and, and I'm really looking forward to uh, discovering uh, good ways to go forward so that we can make this happen. Thank you. Well, I just want to tell, tell everyone how great uh, a librarian you have. Um, Jimmy is uh, uh, a very uh, determined and directed uh, librarian and, and it's been a pleasure to work with him and his staff as well as Ruth. So. Um, we really, really look forward to kind of going to the next phase with you all. Is that right, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will give a lot of the credit to my staff. As they're a great team and they've been behind us. And, you know, we're going to continue to do what we do for the community and serve as best we can. Thank you, Mr. Ward. Thank you. Um, if any members of the public would like to comment, you may come to the podium, please, and just state your name and address, please. Can we ask questions? Yeah. Yes, but please do so from the podium. Okay. Hello, my name is Philip Wicke. I live on the East Sun Town. My question is, uh, you're going to open up the basement. Are you going to be incorporating any sort of uh, green building? Standards oh, into it like radon mitigation oh, because I'm asteroid is not known for it, but my house has it. Oh, high radon, so I'm having to mitigate it. So I'm worried about that now. It's in my sure, room. Room. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Please, uh, yeah, very good question. So uh, it will be radon free uh, when, when um, we'll basically encapsulate the, the basement and. Um, in the perimeter. Um, and also just in terms of sustainability, um, the design is going to, as I mentioned before, um, going to have much, a lot more natural light. So natural light is free when you have it. And so um, <laughs> in this, this, this community, much like my community in Portland, is challenged at times. Right now, right? But, but given that, a north light is a great, great type of light, very diffuse. So it doesn't really matter what kind of light's coming in. There will be light coming in. And that, in turn, uh, with daylighting controls, 
um, allows you to use less energy uh, out on an hourly basis. Uh, we've got a new um, HVAC system, uh, it's called a VRF, and it uses um, a liquid refrigerant to transfer heat versus air. And so it's much more efficient than a typical system. So we're designing to a, basically a, a lead standard, leadership in energy environmental design standard. Um, we don't, haven't determined what level that is yet, but it'll be equivalent to a silverish, uh, maybe silver gold somewhere in there. Um, and so we'll also have uh, uh, minimized toxic content materials, maximized recycled materials, um, and then, as I said, the, the controls and, um, and, and systems will be very, very efficient. Much more efficient, way, way, way more efficient than you have now, obviously. So, okay. All right, thank you all. My name is Lisa Morley. I uh, live in Astoria. I have four questions. Oh, four. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, I think the first row probably already factored in, and it probably just wasn't logical to have it as part of this presentation. But taking one exit away out of two, what's the plan for emergency exits? Oh, okay, sure. Um, for what's your plan for ADA, ADA access to the lower floor? Okay. Uh, including exits mm -hmm. for ADA. And um, also, are you factoring anything in for differently abled kids in your kids' area? Okay. So making it more ADA and, sure. and differently abled. And then lastly, um, it's $7 million, basically. So do you have any kind of ROI factored into this? So we put in $7 million, we hope people come, we hope people use it. But have we done any studies? Okay. To show that that invite's gonna, sure. we're gonna get our return on investment sure. for seven million. Sure. Thanks. Oh, sorry. Um, so, um, I guess I can go through. Maybe you can help me remember all your questions too. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have an elevator that we've incorporated into the design, and that is right in the lobby. So as you first enter, um, you can go down to the lower level. We're not going to call it, call it the basement anymore. We're going to call it the right. lower level. <laughs> basement has too many negative connotations. Right? But for emergency exit, you can't use an elevator. So, so what now? For emergency exit, you can't use no, an elevator. No, you don't use that. that no. Um, so it's if you look at it in, in the inverse, the second floor like this is the same as its relationship as a basement. So you still have to get to the to the exit. So from a code basis. We actually have two stairs that get us out, and it's the stair in the white box there that gets you up from that's in that drawing too. That's the one stair, and then at the top, that white box in the middle, that's a new stair that then leads you directly out where the current kind of delivery door is. So, so there's, and that one's totally enclosed, and so. According to code, uh, the two exits uh, are far enough apart, and they lead to two different exits, so that all meets code, right? But you, still, you can't use stairs for ADA, right. Up, right. and you can't use the elevator for emergency exit from the lower so floor. So what they would do in that case is they would go into, uh, let me show you, uh, see that gray area that leads at the top of the blue? That would be yeah. an um, area of refuge. And so firefighters would go down the stair and grab people in the area of refuge and then help them out. Right. And then, um, what was your, um, so got the elevator, got the stairs, the, the ADA, ADA. access to the first floor emergency exits. Right. Um, just wondering if you're factoring anything in for 
not just okay. able, differently able, sure. able children in the lower, but also differently abled adults in the whole well, design. We didn't get different for the children, especially. Sure, it will be. And um, we we see every square foot accessible. Now, the specifics of that, uh, we haven't gotten into the design of it, but just from a from a guiding standpoint, everything will be accessible. Right. So there, there's nothing like, oh, I can't get back there, okay. or I can't get down there. So, okay. uh, And then your last one was, if we build it, will they come? Right. Well, our experience has been that, um, and the completion of, and Ruth, you can probably have your own set of numbers on this, but um, every library we've worked on that, that has opened and been remodeled or new um, and took the place of an existing facility has had a, a very, very high spike in, in uh, daily visitations and um, also again books being circulated and um, and that I, I mean up like 50% in some cases higher than the existing now what will draw people here is programming right and the ability once a word gets out that I can go to a study room and I can have a five or six person meeting and I can do this and that that I can't do now for free I mean, that's the whole core, that's the essence of the library right. these days. And it's not just about books, and that's the, that's the transition into the 21st century now. We've got a community-based library that brings people together in different ways that it hasn't had hasn't before. And so that's, that's the beauty of it now is you can do, like, we even have an area in the basement that, um, in the flag room, that little green corner at the bottom is just a little small teaching kitchen. And so... Yeah. That's about, like I talked about expanding literacy. Food literacy is a huge <coughs> thing in, in communities all throughout Oregon. So the idea that you can come in and have a guest chef, a guest cook, a, Jeff, uh, a guest nutritionist come in and, and teach people that, uh, maybe kids, right? Obviously kids, uh, teens, uh, young adults, new um, parents, whoever, that, okay, here's some, here's some things about food literacy. If you don't, say it that way probably, but here's a great way to, you know, cook in, in a half an hour for your family. <laughs> that probably gets some traction. But the idea is that it offers a wider spectrum of opportunities for people to interact and to learn and to do. And how many libraries have you opened? Oh, 30? <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yes? Reinforce with you know. Yeah, can you, yeah, can you sure, oh, sure. And maybe introduce yourself as well. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, hi everybody. I'm I'm Ruth Metz, and I've been working with David and Jimmy on this project and, and the library board for a while. Uh, I uh, was involved in doing the needs assessment back in 2013 when we met with community members and talked with them about what they wanted to see in a library, and. Uh, I'm just so very excited for all of you that it has come to this point. It's just so real and uh, it, it's wonderful. The return on investment, I would say, I, I've opened many libraries too and um, my area is library development. Um, economic development, there are many, many studies that show can show the return on investment to the community in terms of economic development. These are numerous, so it's very well documented that a renovated library uh, improves the economic vitality of the community. Educational levels um, over time in a library that's renovated or new increases. The literacy, the early literacy that, that David talked about, the, the different
kinds of literacy, from early literacy to adult literacy to digital literacy to numeracy to technology. These all are things that the community gets. The, um, I would, what I have seen is the use of the library, the user base of the library, so your population of 10,000 Astorians plus people in the outlying area use this library as well. Uh, I would say that, that that probably will increase probably by about 50%. So if you have a 50% cardholder right now, you're probably going to see that go to 75% and, and be sustained. Your circulation of materials will go up. Uh, the capacity of the library to, do, to deliver new technologies, that's going to, you're going to see an increase there. And as David mentioned, you, you've literally, in this, in this design, you have created a community, as Jimmy likes to call it, the heart of the community, the community center. You've got a little mini conference facility going on in this library. Uh, so you, you're going to see a lot of action, and it won't only spike, it will spike and it will, it will maintain that because you have a very committed library staff, foundation, and board, and the community is all excited about it. So good return on the investment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other comments? Again, uh, oh, here we have one. Jim Stouffer, Alderbrook area. You uh, talked about a few of the targeted groups, that, um, teens and children. Um, persistent users also are uh, among people that have uh, a few housing resources. They will be there. And I'm, I'm curious how, uh, from an architectural uh, perspective, uh, your office has uh, addressed resources and uh, how to meet some of those needs. Mm -hmm. That is, if I had a perfect answer for that one, I would sleep well at night as we all um, it, It's an issue of our time, isn't it? Um, one of the things is to make a, uh, I think what, what libraries are doing now are, are making policies that, um, that help staff manage that issue a lot. And so architecturally, what we've tried to do is make the, the library um, easily navigable and a lot of open kind of view corridors so you, staff doesn't have to like go and look behind corners and tall stacks and and um, so part of it is is that it's just the approach to openness and past that um, you know the where staff um, can monitor so the reason why Jimmy's office is front and center and in the middle of things is so that he can kind of monitor what's going on to some degree um, I don't know, do you have anything to add to that, Ruth? That's no, I think that you said that well. It, it is a management issue right. and it's a design issue right. and it's uh, staff. Right. You know, and, and that sounds like policing more than actually uh, targeting and looking at needs that might be addressed. <laughs> what, and what, like what? Give me an example of what you're talking Well, about. Um, this is a, a, a population group that will be there mm -hmm. uh, for many hours throughout many days of the week. Right. Um, I mean, that's inevitable. Right. Um, I mean, they probably need more toilets. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know that, you know, just having a place basically to sleep is 
is something that people will want to do. Right. And that's what I meant by when I mentioned policies. Yeah. They're, they're, um, and then, I, I mean, policing is one thing. Um, I think having a, a system in place that um, expects a certain type of behavior in public is, is another thing. It's not policing. It's just here's a standard of, of behavior and, and care that when you're part of a community that you have to have that shared kind of understanding of, of when you're in a public space how you're supposed to act. And so um, I know Multnomah County, who I do quite a bit of work with, their library system, um, institute a policy of no sleeping, for instance. Um, even the appearance of sleeping is not allowed. Um, the, the, also the limit of how much you can bring in with you is another. And they've even gotten to the point of talking about hygiene. And so these are very, very tough, sensitive questions. And so I don't have the answers. I, I'm just kind of relating to you what some uh, systems have done. And it would be up to your librarian, your library director, and you as citizens to how do you want to um, kind of embrace this issue and, and help solve it. I, I, it's not an easy question, but I, that's just what the, what the direction of libraries is right now. Thank you. Any other comments? All right, thank you very much. Thank you all. Next item, uh, reports of counselors. Counselor Herman. I have no feelings. Just great to see all of you here. Counselor Brownson. Um, I don't have very much. I just wanted to comment that I did finally take advantage of our um, police department and went for uh, a ride-along the other night, Friday night. Uh, dark arts <laughs> night. <laughs> and you know, there was nothing happening. It was quiet, relatively peaceful. Um, you know, and I heard, I heard, you know, in, in talking to, I was with uh, uh, Sergeant Brian Ike, and he commented that, you know, it kind of had the same situation when there was a right, no, no, it was uh, Cindy Price was talking about going out and uh, did it on a, a, the craft festival, if I remember correctly, and expecting, you know, okay, there's going to be some action here. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so, uh, but it was it was informative and it was insightful, and uh, uh, Sergeant Ike was a, a really great guide and took me around town, and, and we did take in a, a dog <laughs> and uh, brought it to uh, the grandmother. And, uh, and uh, you know, so we did. We did a couple nice things. That was one one of the things that I was really impressed with too. We we helped a, a woman who uh, needed to get to the homeless shelter um, warming center uh, for the weekend, and uh, he was facilitating the whole process. He was in contact with her. She had been staying at a hotel, and she couldn't stay there for the weekend. And uh, he was the one who was doing the work to make sure that she had a place to stay. Picked her up, moved her, it was very uh, helpful. And I, again, it just shows some of the quality of the police officers, at least showed me uh, some of the quality of our, our police force. So um, thank you for that. That's it. Councilor Weston. I finally have something to report. Um, I'm in the middle of my tours, so I got to see the library with uh, Mr. Pearson, and that was, it was literally one of the coolest things ever. So as someone who grew up in the library um, and 
I have a science degree in anthropology. I literally, when I went down into the basement, felt like I was on an archaeological dig. <laughs> if you guys haven't been down there, and I know they don't open it up very often, it is absolutely incredible what is down there. And uh, Mr. Pearson's enthusiasm around all of it and his staff, um, it was just a fantastic opportunity to, to tour the library. And I also got to hang out with Susan Brooks, um, the finance director. Maybe not as, uh, not like an archeological thing, but uh, incredibly informative as well. Um, and then just today, I got to spend time uh, with Chief Spaulding and Chief Deputy, Deputy Halverson at the police department. Um, they spent a ton of extra time with me talking about uh, some of the topics that have come up tonight, so around our housing issues and homelessness, um, and just answering a lot of my questions. And if there's one thing, well, two things really that I walked away from with the tours was that one, how hard all of these people, their departments, their staff work. Like I, I just, I can't believe how much they do with pretty limited staff. Um, and then the other thing that I felt leaving each tour uh, was just, I just never felt like each one was in better hands. So I felt like every single individual that I talked with that gave me the tour really cared um, about about the job that they do here, which was important to me and um, not something that I was looking for in, in doing the tour. So looking forward to doing public works, um, parks and rec, and the fire department next. Uh, and the only other thing that I have is that my meet and greet is scheduled for um, March 14th, which is Thursday at 4.30 p.m. And I really wanted to do it in Alderbrook Hall. It's a little bit later than some of the ones that are happening because I connected with uh, Lucian Swerdlock, who's the help, uh, head of the Historic Preservation Program at the college, and they are having um, two of their restoration workshops the first two weekends of March, which the nonprofit, uh, the Astoria Arts and Movement Center, we require two of our board members to take those workshops each quarter. And so it's just gonna be really cool to see um, the work that they've done, because they're doing it in Alderbrook Hall. And so that's where my date and greet is gonna be. Um, so Alderbrook Hall, um, March 14th at 4.30, and I have a Facebook page up, so that'll be on there. And that's it. <laughs> Five things really quickly. <laughs> First of all, I enjoyed going to the Meet the Mayor event uh, and hearing what people were thinking and uh, worrying about uh, outside my own little bubble, and, and that was great. I thought the second Uniontown Reborn uh, public meeting on the 6th was really productive. Lots of interaction between the people who attended, and I really appreciate the way the staff reached out afterwards to make sure that people had an opportunity to comment online if they wished to. And there is still a link on Astray's website to the information from that meeting. Um, I used a gift certificate from an old uh, donation to KNUN to spend the night at the Cannery Pier, mm -hmm. an experience with some of our visitors get to enjoy. And I have to say, if I didn't live here, 
I don't want a vacation here. <laughs> I sat on the municipal court on the 11th to get a better understanding of how it works and got to a chance to talk with Judge Kino and the court clerk, Bill Cover, and that was very instructive. And finally, I just, uh, the reason I'm wearing these really cool gold glasses on is because I had cataract surgery at our local hospital, and uh, after you get that done and your eye works really good, your glasses don't anymore. So, just, until I get new ones, this is what I got. Thank you. I also enjoyed meeting the mayor. That was, uh, we had about 22 people came. Uh, several people in the room tonight were there and uh, had great conversations. And I look forward to scheduling the next one. Um, uh, today I had two different meetings with uh, one with Congresswoman Bonamici, uh, uh, and then uh, earlier in the day I met with uh, Senator Merkley's uh, fuel representative. And in each case, I, I brought up a list of issues, uh, including the need for uh, support for community college education uh, at the federal level, uh, especially to offset the cuts at the state level that unfortunately we're seeing. Um, the need for expansion of the, the Mertz campus. Um, there is a uh, Maritime Administration Center for Excellence program. It was uh, legislation passed in 2017. It was HB 2286. I don't think it had money attached to it, just nice words on paper. And I encourage them to see if they can attach some funding for that that would help out with, uh, with MERTS because uh, there's a need for skilled jobs and of course a need in our county for our uh, youth and adults also to be able to go get training to, uh, to fill those, those skilled blue collar uh, and white collar jobs in the maritime industry. Talked about the need uh, to support the homeboarding of the new Coast Guard cutters that uh, are potentially coming to Astoria, especially when the alert and the steadfast go away, which they will go away sometime in the next uh, the next decade. Um, the need for federal incentives or grants for affordable housing. Uh, we discussed the case of uh, Ruben Perez, who many of you know is uh, an Astoria resident that was uh, detained by ICE in Tacoma, and with the effort of many people, including both Congresswoman Bonamici and Senator Merkley's staff had, uh, had assisted uh, Ms. Perez. Um, I wrote a, a letter on Mayor Stationery and, and supported Mr. Perez, and many other people did a lot. And he, he was released uh, last, uh, just, just several days ago. Um, we also talked about disaster preparedness uh, in Oregon, uh, not only locally but writ large, and how we have a long way to go, and we'll be talking more about that in the future. Uh, next item, uh, Mr. Estes, are there any changes to the agenda? No changes. <coughs> next item is the consent calendar. Items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the city council requests to have any item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. the day of the meeting. Um, have any items been requested removed by the public? No request. Uh, does any member of the council wish to have an item removed? Then uh, I would ask for a, uh, a motion to approve the consent calendar. I move to approve the consent calendar. Second. Uh, roll call vote, uh, Mr. Pearson. Councillor Herman. Aye. Councillor Brownson. Aye. Councillor West. Aye. Councillor Rocca. Aye. Mayor Jones. Aye. Uh, item 7, regular agenda. All agenda items are open for public comment following uh, deliberation by City Council. Um, after each agenda item, I'll ask audience members to raise their hands if they wish to speak. 
and you'll be recognized at the podium uh, for three minutes. And again, please, if you do come to the podium, state your name and, and your address. Item 7A, Public Hearing Ordinance Amending City Code 1.600-1.640 relating to the Ambulance Franchise Program. So Oregon Revised Statute 682.062 was enacted in 2003, which gave counties the authority to develop a plan relating to the need for coordination of ambulance services. Plattsburgh County then established an ambulance service area plan consistent with those statutes. The subject code amendment before you, before you tonight, um, Astoria Code, 1.600 to 1.640 is outdated and in conflict with the county's ambulance service area plan. This amendment is brought to you to be able to clean up the uh, Astoria City Code uh, so that uh, there is no confusion with the, the county plan which is in place. So it's recommended that council hold a public hearing and conduct a first reading of the ordinance uh, which is with regards to the ambulance franchise program. Public hearing is now open. Are there any persons wishing to comment on this uh, ordinance amending the city code? Public hearing is closed. Council discussion. Hearing none, is there a motion? Um, I move that we hold the first hearing, uh, first reading of the ordinance amending city code 1.600 to 1.640 related to the ambulance franchise program. I second that. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? And Ms. Brooks, may we have a first reading of the ordinance? An ordinance revising ordinance 6.140 relating to unlawful transfer of vehicular portion of the right-of-way. Thank you. Item 7B, contract amendment, 2018 trolley trestle oh, orders. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I think that was the wrong pattern. Yeah. Actually, I see that there was actually a, a typographical error in the ordinance. So, so with that, Mr. City Attorney, and that there is, um, with that, with that uh, typographical error in the ordinance, what is procedurally needing to happen? I think if we could just read a correct title, I think it's a, ty a typographical error. So the, the correct title, would it be an ordinance revising ordinance 1.600 to 1.6400 relating to ambulance franchise program, is that correct? That's a much better title. <laughs> okay. So that would be the reading would be an ordinance revising ordinance 1.600 to 1.640 relating to ambulance franchise program. And Mr. City Attorney, that would that would suffice as the reading of the ordinance, correct? Okay. All right. So we can move on. We can move on. As noted. Item 7B, Contract Amendment, 2018 Trolley Trestle River Trail Repair Project. So the city has approximately 4.7 miles of railroad track and eight timber trestles, which were owned by the Burlington Northern Railroad. The riverfront trolley operates on approximately three of those miles and over four of the trestles. The city's waterfront multi-use path, which is known as the River Trail, also traverses along the same trestles. 
Due to the age of the railroad infrastructure, there's been significant effort required to maintain the track and the structures, and we have used the contract services of OBEC Consulting Engineers <coughs> to assist the city over the past two years with inspection design and coordination for the maintenance of the trestles and trolley infrastructure to be able to keep them open to the public. This uh, year, the scope of their service included inspection of the trestles currently used by the trolley and design of necessary maintenance work from 6th Street to the Mill Pond trestle. Uh, this scope of work is consistent with an, a council-directed approach provided to staff in 2016, which focuses available funding resources on maintaining the structures and track west of 39th Street for the active rail. The addition of park piers was done to ensure that those structures remain safe for pedestrians and to capitalize on similar work, uh, which is needed to be able to uh, inspect those overwater park platforms. The engineering services contract to complete the work uh, for this fiscal year uh, is in the amount of $66,632.80, and it was approved at the August 20th, 2018 council meeting. Our consulting engineers are nearing the final stages of this project, but due to the proximity of the ongoing waterfront bridge project, this work um, will need to be structured in a manner that does not impact construction of the ongoing bridge repairs. During development of the maintenance priorities, it became apparent that design work on a portion of the 11th Street trestle needs to be handled in a different way than the rest of the project. A portion of the trestle needs further evaluation in order to ensure it can improve the condition that complements the low capacity of the new 11th Street bridge. Uh, this uh, contract with uh, OBEC Consulting Engineers has been reviewed further and they provided us with a revised scope to be able to assist. And uh, the total uh, fee for this additional work is in the amount of $40,060.80. So I, I want to note for the council that there is currently $350,000 budgeted in the Promote Astoria Fund or the Transient Lodging Tax Fund uh, to cover the cost of the inspection, design, and maintenance of the track and trestles for this fiscal year. Staff originally planned to target a $320,000 project, including the engineering as well as for the construction. This additional repair scope associated with the 11th Street trestle work is estimated to be around 115,000, including this contract amendment and for engineering and for, um, for construction. This will provide a total estimated project cost of $435,000, which exceeds the budget amount included in this current year's budget. However, um, in our public work staff reviewing the timing of this project, <laughs> Um, what I would note is the project schedule will allow for a majority of the engineering fees uh, included in this amendment to be paid out of this year's uh, Promote Astoria budget, while the construction costs uh, will need to be paid out of next fiscal year's uh, Promote Astoria fund. Uh, this strategy will require that the Promote Astoria fund has a similar fiscal year 2019-2020 allocation of $350,000 for Riverwalk track and trestles. Uh, we're wanting council to understand when we move forward with this, we're, we're looking forward at, at committing a staff's recommendation a similar amount in the Promote Astoria budget for this next fiscal year to be able to continue on uh, with, um, you know, with this project. 
So tonight is recommended that council authorize the contract amendment number one with OBEC consulting engineers in the amount of $40,060.80 for additional engineering services. I would note that Nathan Crater, our, our city engineer, is in the audience as well and can answer any technical questions about this project. Well, we all love our river trail and our uh, trolley, but it is very expensive to maintain and I'm, I'm glad that this comes up just so that our, uh, our neighbors are reminded once in a while how, how very expensive it is and that this isn't a one-time cost, it's, it's going to be ongoing into perpetuity just because of the nature of our infrastructure and community and uh, it's, it's, it's a worthwhile expense but it is, it is very expensive to maintain. And Nathan, thank you uh, for all the work that you've done. Council comment? Um, promoted story of funds come from lodging taxes, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so presumably we'll at least have as good of a year next year as we are now yes. or have. Yes. Um, and I'm just curious, how old are the trestles in general? Nathan? <laughs> I'm going to let you... City engineer, we might take you up on the carbon 14 day. So, um, the, the current trussels out there, I, I believe, are 1940s, 50s vintage in a lot of cases. Um, there's evidence of older portions of the trussel, and there's um, varying degrees of maintenance depending on where it is in the system. With this work that would be done, how long would you anticipate the trussel lasting? Uh, so the, the work that we do um, typically uh, is, is maintenance work, um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that piling next to what we're upgrading uh, is going to last for the same duration. Uh, we basically target critical members, um, but on average it's about 20 to 25 years when we do a maintenance repair. Uh, I will note that a lot of the maintenance um, activity that we have been doing has been replacing timber with steel, and so um, that does have uh, a lot longer um, uh, life. Uh, and just one last question. We don't really have a choice to do the work if we want to continue running the trolley, do we? Uh, <coughs> correct, yeah, we do need to continue with maintenance work. I will clarify that this particular amendment is um, mainly focused on bringing that portion that you see in the light blue up, up there um, uh, uh, rated um, or bring the rating up to handle vehicles. So when we look at the trussel on the river trail, uh, there's a pretty defined system. The, the trolley runs on the rails. There's a, a, a little bit of redundancy there. And so the structural engineers have an easier time of making sure those load paths are carried down appropriately. When we talk about vehicles, vehicles don't always go in the same you know, spot. And so that's what's making this particular piece a little trickier than the rest of the maintenance work. Thanks. Yep. Will we see any of this uh, occur at any of the other places where we're repairing the bridges? Will we might see a similar situation there? No, no this is a unique situation. Uh, the rest of the bridges are basically bridge ends that go into um, uh, private structures. In this case, there is this little extension east or uh, southeast, in this case, that vehicles uh, drive along. The only other Somewhat similar situation is down on 6th Street, uh, and that's where vehicles um, will go across that, but the, 
bridge end or the waterfront bridge itself when it's replaced on six will actually tie into both uh, the south and the uh, west side in that case. And so we're not going to end up with uh, the same type of situation as we have here. Okay. <coughs> I hope that's good. I have a question that's probably for Brett. Um, do you, it sounds like there is plenty of funding if it, if the construction is able to happen over those two fiscal years. <coughs> Do you know if there's anything that might be, uh, anything else that relies on the bed tax that might be impacted by that? Um, that pool of funding? So, um, there are a host of other items that go into there, including transfers to the uh, parks <coughs> department. Um, there are um, other uh, projects uh, that are uh, dealt with, uh, like the arts and culture program. <coughs> um, the thing is, is what I would say is that we don't anticipate a reduction in room tax revenues to be able to, uh, you know, kind of jeopardize a similar budget from last year. It really comes down to ultimately what does the budget committee and city council want to be able to prioritize in addition to um, what uh, staff would put forward as a recommendation. Thanks. Just one question about the timing on this. Will this uh, increase the headaches at all for the businesses in that area or uh, taking that into consideration? Yeah, so that, that, that is a very good question. Um, we don't have the timing worked out completely on this, but what I can tell you from past experience is that uh, the type of disruption that comes along with this maintenance activity um, a lot of times can be timed uh, during off hours uh, at night. A lot of it can happen from underneath. Uh, and then when the, the street end is opened, even if we have to close this piece, there still would be opportunities to access all those buildings out on 11th Street. Um, potentially we would just be closing a small portion of that um, if needed for say like decking work um, but this is uh, work that can be done a lot quicker uh, it's it's not the same uh, type of activity that you're seeing out there right now right, great questions everybody thanks Nathan can I have a motion please yeah it's difficult for a company to know what something like this would cost but I trust the engineers in our public works department do so I I move to uh, that we, uh, the council, approve the contract amendment for the 2018 Trolley Trestle River Trail Repair Project. I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Item 7C, the 11th Street Emergency Repair Contract <coughs> Change Order. So in late uh, November of 2018, there was construction activity associated with the Waterfront Bridge Project um, revealed some instability with the existing infrastructure under 11th Street. And this is uh, in the same kind of general areas we're talking about on the prior agenda item, but actually on the right-of-way itself um, heading uh, north towards uh, the waterfront. Underneath the roadway, there is a tunnel with a stormwater pipe that runs north and south. And there's also a, a chairwell, uh, chairwell structure on both sides of the roadway near the sidewalks. Both the tunnel and the chair walls extend to the end of the roadway and uh, meet up at the river's edge. After the weight of the crane that was being used to uh, rebuild this, uh, the waterfront bridge caused some damage to the surface of the roadway, inspections were performed on the underground infrastructure and it was discovered that the tunnel fittings were undermined. 
to, and to avoid uh, delays on the project, our public works staff made some uh, quick arrangements uh, for a contract with uh, Bergman Construction to perform this work. Uh, the amount was in the amount of $45,686.15, which was within the city manager's spending authority, and so a contract was signed and the project moved forward. Once that initial work was completed, it was determined that six additional piles needed to be installed to build the waterfront bridge project and to ensure that there was adequate support for the construction equipment, um, the uh, work was uh, moved forward with and in, in a similar manner to, to avoid any disruption and costly delays to the waterfront bridge replacement project. As this is uh, a contract which was initially approved by the city manager and was uh, right at the spending authority, this contractor amendment requires city council approval. I would note that adding this change order to the additional original contract uh, results in the total project cost triggers what is called Bureau of Labor and Industries or BOLI prevailing wage rates, which are required by state statute. Therefore, the change order includes the additional cost to comply with this state requirement. So it's recommended that City Council approve the change order with Bergman Construction uh, for up to $36,525.67 for the 11th Street Emergency Repair Project. And uh, Nathan can answer any questions on that as well. If there are any. any comments? Yeah, I, the only thing, I, I just wanted to uh, make sure people uh, appreciate the fact that, um, you know, the city does business and a lot of times I get blown away by the costs involved. But this is a good example that points it out is when bullying gets triggered here by the cost. So that was it made an increase of $10,000 from a $26,000 increase. Um, so, you know, whenever you see these costs of doing business and doing these projects by the city, and you say, that's a lot of money. How come the city's paying so much? A lot of times it's because of bully. And what the bully's doing, it's prevailing wages. And it's, it's keeping, it's paying people what they should be paid. So uh, I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Could we have a motion? I will move that we approve the 11th Street Emergency Repair Change Order with Bergman Construction. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, item uh, 7D is discussion of Bridge Vista Overlay Zone Code Amendments. And this is, uh, this is an agenda item that's been under discussion since late last year. It became apparent during the process of reviewing the development proposal at the former ship-in property, as well as working through the ongoing urban core code development process over the past many months that there were gaps and also a need for more clarity and specificity in places which had not been obvious when the code for Bridge Vista Overlay Zone and Civic Greenway, also Neighborhood Greenway, Greenway were originally written and adopted. And to refer back to the language in our comprehensive plan, the Port Uniontown Overlay Area policy, it states, quote, to the extent possible, the design and development standards 
are intended to be clear and objective so that most proposed developments can be evaluated administratively, unquote. Uh, in, in order to achieve this goal, the staff have been working very hard on proposed revisions in the code language over the last several months, and we'll ask for council direction on those revisions tonight. Uh, given the equally important ongoing work on the urban core of the Riverfront Vision Plan and the Uniontown Reborn Project, as well as a number of other miscellaneous zoning and code issues being worked on by staff concurrently, such as proposed new regulations for warming centers, um, all being done by the same few staff. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, there's a need for some prioritization and adjustments to timelines. Um, City Manager Estes and I have discussed various scenarios for timelines all of which involve trade-offs and the need to prioritize the staff's time and energy on these important projects. And Mr. Estes is prepared to offer some comments on, on those uh, prioritizations and timelines tonight as well. Uh, additionally, it became apparent <coughs> last year that some of the specifics in the code for the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone, for example, building height standards, which uh, you may recall were approved by a previous city council in 2015, may no, no longer reflect community intent or current city council intent. And again, Mr. Estes and I have been discussing over the past few months the most practical way to move forward on a discussion and potential revisiting of these issues given the other ongoing work. And uh, we scheduled uh, time tonight uh, to have that discussion and for council to provide guidance to the staff. And then finally, uh, to initiate the process of potentially amending land use code in accordance with state requirements, the city sent a notice of proposed changes to the uh, Department of Land Conservation and Development, or DLCD, last week to initiate that process. And uh, I would note also that the possibility of putting a moratorium on new development proposals while code is being amended was raised by several uh, people and I would just note that uh, a moratorium is not a possibility under state land use law because that would be considered uh, doing an end run around the public process which is required by land use law so that is not an option that we are allowed to consider and so with that introduction if you have nothing else I'll do you have anything for you, Mr. Rosemary? No, I, I mean, I'll just do a very brief uh, um, to kind of statement to be able to tee things up a little bit more. So, uh, as the mayor said, uh, planning staff, uh, Nancy Ferber and Rosemary Johnson, and, um, and, and I've been working to be able to come up with some changes to the Bridge Vista overlay to address some of the, the items that the staff felt were uh, important or to be able to resolve uh, from an administrative perspective or else things that staff had heard from the council prior uh, that they felt was important to be able to do it, to address. And so Ms. Johnson um, is going to be presenting on those tonight. Uh, the mayor had stated that uh, we have sent a Department of Land Conservation and Development notice um, and uh, what that does is that allows for a planning commission meeting to be able to, uh, to move forward next month and Ms. Johnson will give a little bit of a schedule on, on that. Um, I will note that providing a Department of Land Conservation Development notice does not preclude changes to be able to be made 
throughout um, you know this review process throughout the planning commission um, hearings and, and city council hearings as well so rosemary i'll let you um, get going on this and actually rosemary if you don't mind before you start i uh i got some good advice i'll try to take some good advice from now on before i became mayor is that you know if it, if you've gone more than uh, more than an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and it's going to be a fairly long time after that, and I, I see there's a lot of people who probably want to comment tonight. I anticipate a lengthy continuation of this meeting. Let's take a 10 minute recess and come back to our seats at 8:25. Everybody seemed to have a good time. We should have some cocktails next time. Ooh, yeah, we're bringing all the to hear such conversations going. So, Ms. Johnson. Okay. Oh, yeah, for those who are out in the hall, it looks like, I think some people did get up and leave. So there may be some empty seats inside if you want to take a, give it a try. Susie? Some seats inside. Seats up here. Nobody was saying, right? Okay, ready? Okay, uh, just to recap what we said before the break, uh, the council had addressed some issues that came up during the review of the hotel in the Bridge Vista overlay zone and directed staff to start looking at ways to correct some of the uh, misinterpretations or sections that were open-ended. Uh, as was noted, we did send the Department of Land Conservation and Development notice, and I want to reiterate that that is just an initial notice to get the timing started. We can make changes, and what I sent was just an initial draft, and we're not held to that draft. Okay. And with that, um, the notification has to go out so many days in advance of public hearings. And so, uh, City Manager Esty said that I'd review a time schedule. Um, what we're proposing is if we can uh, agree on a draft, then it would go for public hearing March 26th with the Planning Commission and then be brought to the City Council for May 6th for the first public hearing before City Council and reading, first reading, and then the second meeting in May for second reading and adoption. Rosemary, if I also may interrupt there. That's assuming that the planning commission only takes one meeting for right, and that's where we're going to get. <laughs> that is a tight schedule keeping to it, and that's why sometimes it even a simple amendment takes about six months because of timing of notices and if anyone has any commission or council needs two meetings to discuss. Okay. Uh, the Bridge Vista overlay is just one of four sections in the Riverfront Vision Plan. Uh, the city had adopted the code implementation of the Riverfront Vision Plan for the Civic Greenway overlay, the Neighborhood Greenway overlay, and the Bridge Vista. The one that we're working on right now is called the Urban Core, which is the downtown section. So with the issues that arise from the Bridge Vista, one of the things that came out first was that there was a, a statement in there that said conflict between sections and then it was which section would rule. And when we wrote that section, it was to 
basically say that if there was a conflict with an overlay zone and the base zone or other sections of the code, that the overlay was the more strict and would apply. It didn't come across that way. <laughs> so what we're recommending is that we change that if there's conflict between articles, which means the overlay article would take precedent over the other articles, such as the base zoning, parking, signage, things like that, because the overlays <coughs> do have a more restrictive code. Uh, we will make that change. <coughs> We're recommending to make that change also in the other sections of the uh, River Vision Plan that have been adopted. Uh, the other one was um, existing versus new construction criteria. That was a major issue as to what applied to new construction. So what we're recommending is that the whole section be reformatted to say criteria for existing buildings, criteria for new construction, so that way it'll all be listed out and much clearer. The next issue that was of major concern was mass and scale, how to define that, how to apply it. The issue with the hotel came up was because what were you comparing it to? Was it the buildings right next door? Was it the uh, historic boiler, was it the buildings in uh, Uniontown closer to the port area? So what we're recommending there is that just a definition of mass and scale would not suffice. But we are recommending that those uh, terms be defined and that we look at other issues of mass and scale to clarify in the code what was intended. And some of that would be things such as uh, not allowing balconies and fixed awnings to be in the step-back areas. Uh, also that all buildings on the site be included in the 30,000 square foot square, uh, maximum and redefine that so that we are looking at a building envelope and any accessory structures. Um, so that was a clarification. Um, the other is that the step back, it was unclear in the code as to how it actually would be applied. You had a 45 foot height, it said a maximum of 35 foot, and then it says step backs at 24 feet. So what we are recommending is that we clarify that to say exactly how high before the step back, and then once you get the step back, that nothing can be in that step back area like balconies and fixed audience. Now I will note here that with some of the issues that have arisen, with the urban core, we are already uh, using language in the urban core that we're proposing that would fix a lot of these things. And one of the things that we're doing in urban core is the bridge distance says 24 feet, which is two stories, before a step back. In the urban core, what we're saying is one story, 15 feet, and then the step back. Uh, the urban core uh, is going to limit, in the draft, uh, building height to 35 feet. The bridge vista currently allows 45 feet with that step back. So um, at this point, how council directs us is what we need to know as we go along. Um, the other things, uh, I already mentioned the balconies cannot uh, encroach. That's a new addition to the bridge vista, but what, how we're addressing it in urban core. The other is uh, outdoor storage areas became an issue. 
and there are no standards in the code and so how large they are, whether they're enclosed, whether they have rooftops, that came up several times at the staff level with the developer and with some of the people who responded to staff and council. So we're proposing uh, to write sections of the code for outdoor storage enclosures, defining where they can go, what size they should be, whether it needs a man door or uh, just garbage doors. Uh, and so that would apply citywide uh, because it would be a simple uh, change and that's one that uh, planner uh, Ferber and I have seen over the years, the developers just don't know what to do and it takes interpretation by staff. So this would just put it into code, a good uh, base for those outdoor storage areas. The other thing we found out was that the design review committee, the code specifically says that they have the uh, responsibility to review the gateway area. And the, it was always intended that they would review all design review except historic. So we need to update the code just to clarify their responsibilities. Uh, another is the facade. With the hotel, uh, there was a requirement that facades facing streets or the river trail had to have a certain percentage of windows. And with the hotel, what you had was an elevator shaft for one facade and you couldn't put windows in an elevator shop. So what we're proposing is that the elevator portions of buildings would be exempt from that percentage of windows for that elevation, but that they have to put other features, design features, um, crown moldings or belt courses or other features that would break that facade up and not have just a blank wall. Um, Ms. Johnson, may I ask a question? Now, yes. So, and that, I believe I'm following what paragraph you're on right now, and that applies to non-industrial buildings? Uh, correct. Okay. And so I'm just wondering, so you have the case now of the most massive buildings along the waterfront, really are the Astoria Warehousing Company buildings, especially the largest one, and those are, I assume those categorized as industrial Correct. Buildings. The current use is industrial. Right, which is why they're just big boxes, boxes right. with no design features essentially right. uh, whatsoever. And so would that mean in the future if someone built a, a warehouse in an area where they were zoned for where they also would not have to comply with any design standards? There are design standards and that's what when we separated out what was designed for residential, uh, non-industrial and industrial, there are still some standards. Uh, the elevator shaft, um, I think that percentage of windows applied to non-industrial because industrial buildings generally don't have windows, mm -hmm. uh, but they are required to have some other design features. Right. So, Mayor, uh, one, of the, Mayor one of the things you know with an industrial building that you may see is you don't have uh, requirements for the same amount of windows, but maybe you have things like clear story windows. You have, there's a it's kind of a, a different set of design elements that come into play uh, when you look at non-industrial versus industrial buildings. And, and our code currently separates into those two separate types of construction. And so part of what we would be proposing also is there's a section here for guidelines for non-industrial buildings which would talk about vertical proportions of and location and size of windows, 
design of windows and doors and the simple massing of historic structures in the area. So there would still, still be some design features, just not as many as on the non-industrial. In addition, uh, if those buildings were to be reutilized in a non-industrial non use, then if they came in with a proposal for at least 25% of its value improvements to the building, then the bridge vista overlay requirements would kick in. And so they would have to comply. Okay. okay. I just, I've been taking the dog for lots of walks on the river walk. Well, I have since we lived here, but uh, particularly lately with an eye toward the buildings that are present or to be built in the future. And, and I, just, I just can't help but note every time when I look at which buildings are most aesthetically offensive, it's not uh, necessarily the hotels that some people don't like as much as it is the warehouses because of the fact that they just don't have any design features to break up that monolithic shape. And so it, again, it just concerns me that in the future, if another warehouse were to be built, if it could be built the same way as asteroid warehousing is now, where there's no design features, that's far more, again, aesthetically offensive than, than some other buildings. And that's where we get direction from council if you want us to write uh, some additional type designs in or not. Yeah, I would say though, but the thing is, is you would not be able, under our existing code, you would not be able to build a building like Astoria Warehousing in your today's code. And also the fact that we have design standards for industrial structures. Okay, right. Okay. There so are that, some, yes. Right. yes. Thank you. It won't be as pretty as a non industrial building. Well, and I don't want to get to describe what, what is pretty or not pretty. Yeah, that was a wrong word. It's also, industrial buildings can, and because, well, older industrial buildings have their own inherent design characteristics. Yeah, that was the wrong word. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing is uh, standardizing the lighting standards throughout. Uh, we have various sections of the Riverfront Vision Plan, and they they kind of repeat the similar, and we're just putting it, uh, suggesting that it just be standard throughout. Um, the other is the clarifying building height exemptions. That was another controversial issue uh, during the review process. Um, we do have a code that exempts elevator shafts and mechanical equipment, flagpoles, that type of thing. And one of the things we we're recommending that it just be clarified that the exemption is only for the square footage needed for those features that cannot be within the building, such as an elevator shaft or mechanical equipment, not including habitable space for like a storage room or something. And then also adding something that says it also should be limited to the maximum, the minimum height needed and not any additional height. Uh, there are other things that we can do for design on some of those uh, elevator shafts. One of the things that we'll be recommending is possibly stating that you can't have attachments or signage on the exempt areas, which would draw more attention to them. Um, and then uh, also adding language that would state uh, that, ex uh, excuse me, that any code that in the overlay zones that is also in the base zones that uh, again the article 14 overlays would apply and then within article 14 if there's conflicts 
the more stringent of the code would apply. So if there are conflicts within the code itself, I know the issue came up as one section said 45 feet, another said 35, and so uh, at that point with the interpretation of the code the way it was, they went with 45. So we're putting that the more stringent would apply. And that's just a quick overview of uh, some thoughts uh, based on issues staff had during the initial review process and issues that were raised at the City Council on the appeal. That's what I have. Well, and, and I would just add for the benefit of the public, it doesn't have, it just says the slides. There's a, a very lengthy list of all of these different changes that we have here that we don't have a printout to give everybody because it's extremely long. But yeah, you, you gave a very brief overview of a, a whole lot of work. And I just want to thank uh, you and Ms. Ferber for uh, having spent so much time over the last several months um, really diligently uh, reviewing all of these, uh, all this language and being responsive to the public and also to the council to try to get the code where we, uh, where we want it. Thank you. And uh, I'll open it up for council comment. I had a question, Rosemary. Um, I may have missed this in the document, but do you know what the required, uh, as far as the step backs for a 35 foot building, do you know how many feet is currently in the draft or what's being discussed right now? Uh, you're talking about step back, which is the building, or the setback from the property Excuse line. Excuse me, the setback. Yeah. The setback from the property line. Um, I'd have to check it and see, but it seems to me that it's... So there's going to be different... <coughs> different for each zone. And, and, and a, setback is the, is a setback is a distance from a property line to the building base. And it actually varies depending on where you're located. You have view corridors on the north-south streets, right. Right. which have greater setbacks than on maybe like Marine Drive. And so it really, I guess, we probably need more clarification as to where you're looking at. Yeah. Okay, I think it was more, I'll take another look at the document because I think it was more of a general question, not considering that stuff is in different zones. But. Right, and the other thing, it would not show up in the document that of this draft because we weren't looking at the step setbacks with this draft because that was not an issue that we were aware of. Uh, however, the setbacks, you'd have to go to the development code and look at what's existing there. Uh, it was, intent, I believe, the overall for buildings on the water and buildings on the land going down the river trail, it left about an 80-foot wide corridor. Yeah, I think that that's just in trying to remember from attending planning commission meetings last year when, that, when the uh, presentations were happening and that mm -hmm. was kind of being discussed. I feel like that was the number that I as well. Yeah, I think most of the, the river trail gives you about an 80 foot quarter, and on the north south, there are 70 foot quarters. Okay, thank you. And just so you know, the, the street rights away through that area are typically 60. 60 foot rights away, so that provides you know an, an additional five foot buffer on, on either side of the right of the line. I'm just wondering um, some of these boarding clarifications. Wouldn't they make sense to apply to the entire Riverfront Vision Plan? And that's what the intent is okay. to be able to do. All right, I'm sorry. But there are sections that are going to 
what we're recommending is for everything. So that's why you see uh, okay. CGO for Civic Greenway Overlay or okay. NGO for Neighborhood Greenway. Some of the issues are specific just to Bridge Vista. But if the same issue occurs in the multiple zones, we're looking to apply it to all. Okay. And then one of the big uh, sticking points, as you mentioned, Rosemary, was the issue, um, well, during the Fairfield in appeal in December, before the council, whether um, <coughs> new construction had to meet the same standard <coughs> as existing construction. It was the use of the word retain um, that really was open to interpretation. Although I would argue that, of course, new and existing construction would meet the same standards. So, so I really wasn't quite sure um, how that was addressed. Okay, what I did was separated out existing buildings and what standards and guidelines apply to that, and then a second format for new construction and what applied. And the word change that we did there, uh, or recommending, is new construction should respect um, the original characteristics and then I go on to uh, defining what area and how many blocks, things like that. But we did def separate out new from existing. Okay, um, but they would have to meet the same requir requirements, wouldn't they? Not, not exactly, because an existing building, you have to take that existing form and work from there. Most of the standards are going to apply to both. But where you said, like, uh, re uh, what was it, retain the historic character or the original characteristic. Well, if you have new construction, it can't retain something. And so that's where we put that it's going to, it should respect the area design. So a lot of the designs are going to be similar, but in some cases, it's uh, real clear what should be existing and what is for new construction. Okay. And, and Councilor, one of, one of the things that also came up was, you know, how far, if we're talking about, um, you know, any comparability, how far out do we go? And as Ms. Johnson said, with the language, what we were going to be proposing is some more definitive area uh, to uh, give the decision makers, the design okay. review committee and council, if, if it ever came to an appeal, um, what specific area to really be looking at and focusing on. And what we're recommending is two to three blocks, depending on the visibility, rather than going all the way to the port area for that issue, which was like six blocks away or so. And so we're looking at more the view quarter, the visual of what it has to compare to is around its surrounding view area. But what if we're talking about a building that's right next to Astoria Warehousing? We wouldn't want a new building <laughs> respecting that <laughs> architecture. Right. And, um, the other language, which I'm not sure is going to work, but I have here, development should be dis designed so that structures do not create negative impacts on adjacent properties or stand out prominently when seen from a distance. That, again, gets to your mass and scale of the prominence, and the negative impact would have to relate to everything in the area within that two to three block rather than just the Astoria warehouse. So it's not saying it needs to be compatible with the warehouse. Okay. Um, that just, and I, I know you, I appreciate all the work you put into this. I could just see in the future a developer coming and with those words, um, negative impact, are really open for yeah. interpretation. Yeah. So I thought that's true. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering if, I don't know if okay. there's a way to 
make that more specific and concrete. Okay. Um, I mean, is it possible to have new construction or existing construction being remodeled respect the entire bridge vista zone? That's that was one of the problems with the uh, the hotel was because when you try to determine what it should be compatible with, there is a variety. True. And if you're looking at one section of Bridge Vista, it is more industrial, and then you go one block further and you have residential uh, buildings True. just across the street. So trying to keep it within the visual portion of when you see that new building or the restored building, what is your visual uh, perspective of that building and what it's comparing to? So comparing mass and scale and design to a broader area is hard because you have such a variety. You've got to pin it down to something a little more concrete. Yes. Okay. And the 30,000 square feet is for a site, a property, regardless of how many buildings are involved, not for each building. Correct. And that was one of the clarifications. We uh, had that issue at the early stages of the project. Uh, they were planning two 30,000 square foot buildings originally. And we said, no, this was intended to be for a development site. Um, still working on exact wording for that, but basically saying everything within that site, with some exceptions, maybe 120 square foot outdoor storage area for garbage is exempt. But um, we're including uh, garage within the building because that adds to the mass of the building and I think was originally thought to be included, but um, because you're trying to look at the envelope, what right. is your mass? And by excluding that square footage for the garage area, added an entire uh, floor of square footage that was exempt. So that's one of the things that we're recommending that it changed to not care whether it's the, the parking or not, that it, it's everything. Excellent, thank you. I had a, a quick question kind of on the tail end of that. You mentioned um, impact on adjacent properties. Is that commercial, residential, any kind of properties? There, there are no other than multi-family dwellings for this uh, area that would only, that would be the only residential. Everything else is going to be commercial or industrial. Okay. It, it was actually the multi-family ones that I was wondering about. So are those included kind of in the impact assessment? It depends on if they're within two or three blocks of the site and yes, they if they are the design such as Uniontown Apartments, right. uh, that would be one of the designs you would be looking at if this pr new project were within visual one or two, two or three blocks of that project. So again, each area is different. Yeah. Thank you. Uh -huh. One of the um, issues with that project and the Historic Landmarks Commission interpretation challenge that they had and that we had as a council when it came to us was that uh, the, um, the Historic Landmark which triggered the requirement for review by HLC was not a building but a, the remains of a structure. And is that addressed at all to make it easier to interpret and are there any other historic landmarks within this zone that are like the old boiler that would that, that can come up again when you're trying to compare make a building compatible with something that's not a building right we do have other structures or features that are historic like tidal rock and other okay. areas um i tried to address it i don't have that 
honed down yet, but I'm trying to address so that if you have a structure, the historic would have to look at that, but you're going to be looking at the compatibility with for the bridge vista for all of the buildings, not just the historic. With the historic landmarks commission, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to work on that because you do need to consider it as a historic feature. Rose, are you including that? As, is this included as a part of these code amendments? I think it's more right. specific. Right, and it, it will be in this code amendment, but I'm still working on exactly how to address that. I mean, it could be like the Civic Greenway. You have big red out there, and you and, and something was developed around there. That would be a real a historic. Is that is that a historic building? That's a historic building. Yes. Yeah. So that would have a, a real immediate impact on it. Right. Um, so that's the sort of thing we look at for historic. You would, and the close to right. And, and that and is a structure. You, so when you get into building. that whole adjacent sort of thing, so when you're talking about historic landmarks, is it going? You're redefining, uh, you know, what's going to impact the building and how this building and what this building is going to impact. So you've you brought the zone in closer to adjacent, you use the term adjacent, you're describing that as two or three blocks. Well, but, I, I, but I think but we need two to, different things. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just wondering. You're what, what we were talking about design review committee standards before. I know, but this is historic, and I'm just what, so that's right. And, right. I, and I'm just wondering if when you're starting to think about the historic thing, right, are you thinking, are you, are you thinking along the same lines that with, is, is that historic? Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think closer to or farther away, or is it the whole okay, this, area? Right. The historic, we look at adjacent properties for the historic code. That's not what we're looking to change at this point. What okay. I'm trying to look at is for the bridge vista overlay and how that would review structures versus buildings, not the historic code. So I'm not. Uh, okay. Recommending a change to that at this point because that's another whole. So I want to. I'm going to re-ask the question I asked earlier, Ms. Johnson. Are you? Are there any proposed changes to the HLC standards at all as part of this code amendment? Not as part of this okay. code amendment. Yes. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> I think though the, the the question that was asked earlier is is what is, you know, do we have any more historic designated properties that are not structured in the city? The answer is yes. How many more in the Bridge Vista? Um, I, Doughboy, I guess. That's yeah, the Doughboy been. is different. Uh, the Maritime Memorial it would be different, and that's not necessarily designated historic yet. But, but, but the thing is, is well, and we're not looking at any changes to the Landmarks Commission Code. Right. I think that that's going to take much more in depth in depth work to be able to address that separate from the bridge vista overlay but trying to really work focus on that riverfront designs i really appreciate the work you've done on this and your attention to um, massing and scale and lot coverage and historical values and so on and i appreciate the comments uh, the astute comments of my fellow counselors but I'm worried that we are only nibbling around the ankles of the elephant in the room, or more correctly, the elephant on the riverfront. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to propose that the city of Astoria adopt a universal height limit of two stories, approximately 24 feet, for all new construction between Marine Drive and the Columbia River along our entire riverfront. 
all the way to Tongue Point. Yes. Good. I believe this, in a way, would be our city's beach bill or bottle bill, preserving for the future the city that our residents repeatedly say they want, while leaving the door open for things that can benefit the community. It would be compatible with the look and feel of most of the existing commercial buildings downtown, which are two-story. It leaves open a wide variety of opportunities for riverfront property owners, but does preclude the kinds of development that people are arguing against. It preserves the views and the corresponding economic value of existing homes. Views and value go together. And it keeps the river walk at pedestrian scale. So I would urge my fellow councilors and the staff to uh, give this their most serious consideration and to actually, uh, you know, bite the elephant higher than his ankles or take the bull <laughs> by the horns or whatever analogy you want to use and actually deal with the issue that's in front of us. Thank you, Roger. From the Planning Commission on the Urban Core, correct. And are you able to say now what that height, uh, building height standard is uh, that there that will be proposed? Right, they're proposing 35 feet with the step backs along the river trail of uh, after 15 feet, it right. would step back 10 feet. So it's so a height. 35 feet max. That's so three story. As opposed to where in the in the bridge vista overlay zone currently, it says height standard is 35 feet, but with a 10 foot step back, you can go up to 45 feet. Correct. They're going to propose 15 feet, but with a step back of 10 feet, you can go up to just 35. 35 feet. Okay. And so that was arrived at through a fairly lengthy process to date that involved significant <coughs> public input and consideration of the planning commission. Correct. So my, you know, my response to uh, Councilor Rocca's uh, uh, recommendation would be, given that a, a lengthy public process with significant public input and consideration of our esteemed colleagues on the Planning Commission is going to come to recommend uh, 15 feet or up to 35 feet with 10 foot step back, that I would, I would be comfortable uh, recommending that we reduce the current building next standard within the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone to that same standard the Planning Commission is bringing to us for the urban core. I would not, I would not be comfortable going lower than that, two stories. And I would point out that there are historically quite a few buildings that go above 24 feet. For example, the Union, the, the Helping Hands building, which is the historic finished boarding house, which is four. Ms. Johnson, so at the next, next council meeting where you're gonna be, I, you, Mr. Johnson, representing to us the current state of the recommendations, but I think stepping it back to the, the 15 feet with 35 feet with a 10 foot step back that the Planning Commission is apparently going to recommend to us, I would be comfortable that that is a standard that the community has given extensive public input to already. Uh, if I may respond to your response, Please. Mr. Mayor, um, the only thing I would say is that uh, we can pick out a few buildings that are bigger than that. We can pick out a few buildings that maybe we wouldn't want to repeat again at this point. But in terms of public input, 
I think in all the discussions we've had so far, the public has never been given the opportunity to even consider right. that 24 feet could be the limit. I don't think that has been presented to them as a possibility. And I think if it was, you would get a different response from the public. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. May I weigh in? Don't want to butt in. Um, I completely agree with you, Councillor Rocca, and I appreciate your putting that out on the table. I was reading the Astoria Riverfront Vision Plan principles, and it's right online. You just Google Astoria Riverfront Vision Plan. It'll come right up, and I'm just going to read them. They're not very long. Promote physical and visual access to the river. Yes. Maintain this is interesting, especially significant in my opinion. Maintain current areas of open space yes. and create new open space areas. Yes. There you go. Yes. Provide for public access to the river within private developments. Although, as I've mentioned before, it's hard to have access to the river through a private development, except along perhaps a narrow corridor, um, unless you're staying, have money meaning at that hotel or eating at that restaurant, which a lot of people will not be able to do, don't have the money to do. So to me, a big hotel, even if it's only three stories only, to me that seems tall, um, still would prohibit many people from enjoying the river, the wide open vistas that we still have some of. But anyway, um, protecting view sheds along the river, including corridors and panoramas, from key viewpoints. So those are most of the vision plan principles. I realize that not everybody agrees that we shouldn't have another hotel or condominium along the waterfront. I've talked with business owners who don't agree with that. Um, but I like Councilor Rocca's suggestion of 24 feet. We are one one-in-a-kind place. I mean, there's no other place like this. Yeah. And we, it's up to us to protect it, not only for historians and all who visit here because of the kind of place it is, but for future generations. And people come here because of the way it is. Yes. We don't want a Lincoln City. Um, sorry, Lincoln City. <laughs> but I used to go there when I was a kid, and it's much different now. So. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think it's a pretty interesting um, proposal that you've uh, made, uh, Councilor Walker. Um, and uh, I'd definitely like to uh, take that into consideration. Um, I, because I, we've certainly heard that uh, four stories isn't acceptable. Uh, at least by the public that has taken their time and effort to show up uh, consistently and, and uh, talk to this council and to the planning commission. Um, so I was pleased to see that everything was leaning downwards. And I'll, I'll consider uh, the impact of the uh, two-story limitation um, and see how that works in. Because again, uh, my thinking hasn't really taking that particular case into consideration. Uh, but I do believe that 
You have to remember one of the things that happened out here when, when the River Vision, when these overlays uh, that were done, the BVO and the Civic Greenway, you know, people were really concerned of people building out over the water and obstructing the views from the river walk and from everywhere. And that a great, that was really the, the sort of the centerpiece of uh, trying to limit that or stop it. So if you look at the overlays, you're going to find that building over the water, you have a maximum height of 10 feet. Basically, they said you can build a dock, but don't put any buildings out there. You're shaking your head out there. Is that 10 feet wrong? Yes. <laughs> it's top of bank. Top of bank, okay. No, no. Where? I remember seeing In urban piece. core? Where? No, not urban core. I'm just talking about the, the BVO and the, the existing overlays right now. If you look at the code, basically the code was put in there. They set it up so you couldn't build up over the water. There are limitation areas that are limited to top of bank, but there are other development areas that have height that we're talking about here, the 35 feet or... But not over the water. Over the water, too, yes. yes. Yeah. But they are only allowed... For a certain percentage of the width of the lot, such as 60% to leave 40% open views, or they get a little bit higher to 45 if they're over 200 feet from the shore. I mean, there's a lot of answers, but there are limitation areas, which are limited to the top of bank, and development areas that have overwater buildings. Okay, I, I did. That's why I tend to focus on it, was, was at, at the level of the bank, because I, I think that's what we're one of the things we're very concerned about is that we don't start building up over the water and that's where they have these view corridors you know if you look at the when they start looking at the urban core some of the proposals of the buildings being built over the water they have these like pathways around the buildings and back in which were sort of absurd so i'm really in favor of doing everything we can to preserve the river front you know on the other side of the river walk and I think we need a little bit more flexibility um, on the other side. Again, uh, I'm all for bringing it down to the 35-foot level, and I'm willing to entertain the two-foot and, and have that discussion. Two-foot, um, two-story. Two-story. Two-foot. Two-foot. Good Freudian slipper. Hold, hold. So, um, you know, one of the things too, and, and I don't know how this comes into play and whether this really, really, whether it's uh, two stories or three stories or four stories, uh, sometimes we do, though I'm not hearing from them, uh, but the specific property owners. And, and how are we, in, we have to remember that we will be impacting them by changing zoning. So, uh, I suspect if there had been a 35-foot uh, limit on uh, for the Fairfield, they might have built something that was that high, and they still would have established there. So I'm, I'm okay with that, because one of the things I was thinking about, that if we get too restrictive, think of the people that uh, own the, uh, uh, the restaurant there, and they were, they'd been there all their life, and they, they wanted to retire, and they needed to sell that property. And, and people have got to be able to you know, that was probably the retirement. That's their way of, of going forward. And if we put too many restrictions and limitations on property, you know, we could impact property owners and the right to uh, get best use out of it. So I just want us to strike a balance, and I do want to preserve what we have here in this area. I think it is unique, it is special. And we don't want this people driving this town and, and seeing any other town 
that we see everywhere. That, uh, so whatever we can do, and um, I'm really glad we're having this discussion. This is really important. Uh, we, we, we saw what was going on when we took on the Fairfield, it really, really brought to light some of the weaknesses in, in, in coding that we had. So um, again, I appreciate all the work that you're doing, and I appreciate all the work the Planning Commission is doing. And I, I know that when I was going through all your changes there, that you know there was a lot of reflection on what uh, Planning Commission is doing on the Urban Core right now, and that there's some desire for consistency along a lot of things. So. Uh, I'll continue to uh, enjoy this discussion. And remember, we're still actually in fairly early days on this. There's a lot of opportunity for... Actually, actually this not. No. <laughs> well, well, we were just talking about that, no, that, no, no, that the, in the process. No, we're not talking about urban core in this one. We're talking Bridge Vista. This Bridge Vista is moving very fast. That was the direction we got from council yeah, that you wanted these fast. corrections. So, so, that, that, so that's why we had the, the, uh, the notice to the... Yes. Right. Yes. So what's our timeline? Um, planning Commission in Public a month. March 26th. And for okay. Bridge Vista. Urban Core, there is more time um, on that. That process is still going. What we're talking about tonight is, is Bridge Vista overlay and trying to clarify issues specific to Bridge Vista. And in order to move this forward, staff has provided the Department of Land Conservation and Development notice for a Planning Commission meeting in March, and so this is moving very quick. Right, but at which time there will be more public comment, correct? Correct, right. correct. And then it will have to still come back to the council after the planning commission. Correct. We're looking at several months. Right. Uh, no, we'll come back to the council May 6th, potentially, right. for a public hearing. So the two public hearings would be March 26th at the planning commission okay. and May 6th at the city council. And what, <clears throat> what we had tried to do with this was not to try to fix everything in Bridge Vista, which would take months and months and months, but instead the direction we got was that to get some of these corrections and clarifications in so that they could be adopted quickly. So a longer, a larger discussion of changing big items could come and we could amend those again at another time. But the, the gist of this was to try to get these fixes in now and then have longer discussions on any major issues that you want to, to do. Uh, but a height is a simple one to bring down in, mm -hmm. in something like this, yes. The other thing I, I did want to comment, we as staff have worked extensively with the property owners. We've discussed with many of them um, especially the overwater property owners and some of their concerns with how it's going to impact their buildings and their you know, uh, proposed long-term plans for their properties. So there is that balance that staff had to look at in some of those issues too with existing property rights. Um, and then when the, uh, the corridors for view vistas just to remind the council, we had 6th Street Viewing Tower. That was one of those uh, access points. The 14th Street Dock for the river pilots. And then at the Red Building uh, at the port, there is the river trail actually goes around that building on the outside on a, a decking for that building. So, Rosemary, so if you public. would also just to reiterate, for the Bridge Vista, we are looking at the parameters of 
the Pier 1, uh, including the hotel area. That's to the west. To, right. And that's the west side and 2nd Street on the east side. So, and from Marine Drive to the south. To the Pier Head Line. To the Pier Head Line. This is the area that we're discussing tonight. Well, right. in the changes, you also noted some changes to take place in Civic Greenway as it, well in relate kind of clarifications, um, yes. Clarif same clarifications mm -hmm. right. that we're doing in Bridge Oak. Some of the clarifications. Right. Some of the clarifications, not necessarily big code changes, but clarifications we're applying uh, to the other areas also. So, did things like um, adjacent properties and height limitations take in the Civic Greenway, or were those, were those specific to the BVO. Uh, the height limitations that we're discussing right now are specific to BVO. Uh, Civic Greenway had more uh, protected areas, no build areas, just top of bank, because that was considered the most vista open area. The downtown was the urban area that was to be a little more denser, and then Bridge Vista had some more development. And then you had Neighborhood Greenway, which is basically residential with no development so, potentials. So Ms. Johnson, I would like to be able to provide more clarity to the counselor's question. With regards to the Bridge Vista overlay and the height requirements, staff has not proposed any changes to that. We've asked for some clarity from the city council, how do you wish to handle that? But as a part of this process, um, you know, we are not making any recommendations on that. Um, so if there were any direction from the council tonight with regards to height limits, we would ask for that so we could then be able to move forward at the planning commission level um, next month and so that there is some specific direction in terms of how to move forward. And so that's, that was the purpose of Ms. Johnson um, referencing what is being done in the urban core amendment to be able to provide some comparison to what is being developed in another plan area. So if I can, just, I'll just comment briefly on a couple of my colleagues' comments. Uh, and I, I liked what you mentioned, the difference between the north side of the trolley, the river walk, and the south side. I mean, there is a, there is a distinction in my mind. And I, I mean, I think about this often when I walk on the river walk. Uh, when I'm, you know, when I'm walking west, you know, what's to my left is, is different. My expectations are different than what's to my right, to the north on the river. And uh, when I walk past the Fisher building, you know, it doesn't, the size of that building doesn't, doesn't bother me. It's on the south side, it's on the land side, it's on the urban side, it's where the city is. When I look to the right, I don't want to see anything there. I don't want to see, uh, you know, I don't want to see another condo building going up there. But there is a difference in my mind between the north side of the river walk and the south side, and what's most precious to us is the, the north side of the river, or the, or the water side of the river walk. And as far as um, you know, river views from the road, I would note, you know, recently we've seen the, the new kidney dialysis center going up. It's a one-story building. And the first thing that occurred to me driving by it when it was framed down was it completely blocked the river view. And I thought it's a one-story building, and why is nobody protesting against it? I mean, a one-story building, as far as the perspective from the, from the road, um, from driving down Marine Drive, a one-story building blocks your view. Yet, we're not having any protests about that. Um, I'm not sure why exactly. Uh, when you walk in the river walk, when that building is finished, um, again, you'll have, a, you'll have a building to your left. Uh, uh, so I, I, I do, and to my mind, I make a distinction between things which block your view from the road, which frankly on the road you ought to be looking at the road, not looking at the, the river. Um, but it's far more critical to me 
the buildings that are on the north side of the, the tracks. Um, I noticed, I, I, I read through very carefully all of the comments on the online petition today, printed them up and read them again. And it's very important, there's a lot of people signed that petition, almost 300 people, and uh, a lot of comments were made. I take them very, very seriously. There are, there are comments in there about, you know, we don't want out-of-town corporate developers building hotels. And I'm very sympathetic to that, but as you noted, as both of you noted, um, you know, a lot of these, the property owners that have been coming in to your office very hot in the past uh, week or two are our, our local people. These are local historians that, that own property that uh, either, you know, whether it's um, Mr. Fix, the seafood processing facility, you know, he's asked the question, why can't I bump a wall out and expand my property? And it's, I've been working that property a long time, maintaining maritime traditions in the community. I'm sympathetic uh, to him as well. You know, I know we have, uh, you know, when I walk the whole length of the river walk, uh, it's about five and a half miles of waterfront. I think it's about accurate, five and a half miles uh, of waterfront that we have, much of which is preserved, um, some of which isn't. And I mean, it's, it's different. I think the real question to ask is of, of a five and a half mile waterfront, um, you know, what's, what's the amount that should have any development at all, and what's the part that should be preserved forever, like the neighborhood greenway is. The neighborhood greenway section is about a mile and a quarter, I think. I mean, you can't build anything there forever as, as it should be. Uh, Councilor Herman, you, 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 uh, you quoted from the Riverfront Vision Plan about preserving open views, but remember that Riverfront Vision Plan talks, you know, it says the Riverfront Vision Plan recognizes the need for development and balances that with the need to protect vistas and views. Um, and in the urban core section, which we're not dealing with tonight, but will be next month, it specifically says the urban core is envisioned as being the area with the most intense development. I think that's a direct uh, quote. So, I mean, the different sections of our waterfront are a little different. I think we should talk about them a little bit differently. Um, so, at the December meetings where we discussed the Fairfield Inn, uh, there was strong sentiment that people wanted to restrict it to three stories. I would love to have restricted it to three stories. To me, the code was crystal clear that they were allowed four stories, which is why I voted how I did. And I said at the time, let's, if we wanted three stories, let's change it to three stories. So in my mind, if we were tonight to give direction to staff that we, should, we want to change the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone height standard from 35 feet with allowance to 45 feet with a 10-foot step back, and instead say that the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone building height standard should be 15 feet or up to 35 feet with the 10-foot step back, that would be a significant improvement um, in line with what people were asking for in December. And that's, that's what I would be in favor of. Um, I just wanted to comment and, and say, like Councillor Brownson, um, I'm just really glad that this discussion is still happening. I'm glad to see so many people here, uh, so many passionate opinions about this. I'm really glad that you're incorporating the perspectives of current property owners because I wasn't aware that that was happening and, and of course um, that's something that I think all of us uh, think about and want to be considered. I don't know if there is any way to, I mean, you hear that term grandfathered in all the time or if conditional use could be in place or conditional reviews for current property owners. Um, I know a lot of times conditional means yes, but just to be able to continue to have those conversations so it doesn't seem like we're being 
uh, unfair to current property owners. That said, I would still, if a current property owner wants to sell their business or their property site to an entity that wants to build a four-story hotel, you know, I would not be in favor of that. I understand that right now they may have the right to do that depending on where they're at. Um, but it's, again, I'm just glad that those conversations with the property owners are happening. Um, I am, I too want to commend uh, Roger's comments um, and Jones uh, in support of, of preserving the Riverwalk. Um, and, and a lot of that is based on the community feedback that I've heard as well. Um, I've oftentimes wanted to try to find a balance between development and, um, and community concern around the river, uh, but I, I would be much more supportive of, can I say two feet? Did that come out? <laughs> two stories? Um, two stories than I would be uh, of three. And I, I do understand in doing more research, um, what happened with the the previous the discussion around the code of the 45 feet and the 35 feet um, and how the Fairfield Inn was approved? Um, I think it's unfortunate, but I think that it's shaken things up enough to now we're all trying to figure out what to, the best thing to do moving forward. And so sometimes things like that have to happen. Uh, in order for code to get cleaned up or things to get fixed. Um, so I don't know that 15 years ago when I moved here that these discussions at that time were necessary <coughs> and so there wasn't this urgency there to, to put code in place or to have it clear, very clear um, so that when the lawyers do start making points or asking questions, you have to be really sure what your answer is going to be. Um, but again, I'm just, I'm really honored to be part of this discussion. I'm really proud of the council and, and for everybody that's ever stated an opinion on this. I'm proud of the people that put the petition together because I know that we are genuinely interested in community feedback around the decisions that are, are being developed right now. So, it sounds like there are three councillors at, at the least that are in favor of a two-story height limitation. Now, so can I ask you, because we have, obviously have to give specific direction to staff on the language for well, to be proposed to then go to the Planning Commission. So how many feet, what, what is the range of feet that constitutes two stories? Uh, Just 28 feet. 28, 28 feet. Because you're in the, with the 28, that includes a parapet, a parapet wall. Um, you have a ceiling height and then um, the ability of, this building has a parapet, meaning it's a part of the wall that sticks up above the, the top roof structure. So 28 feet would be what we'd call a two-story structure. Okay. Well, then it sounds like the, the guidance going back to staff from this meeting is to insert language of a, for the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone, of a 20-foot height, building height standard. So 28 feet. 28 feet. 20. We agree with 20. Really? 28. 28. And, and, and just so that the public understands, we haven't just 
we, we don't have the option to vote on anything tonight. This is language going back into the process. Right. It will be subject to public input, public hearing, and then come back to us in an expedited right. fashion. Yeah, the, the, the importance of having that discussion tonight is we, what we wanted to be able to, I mean, I mean, if there was something that was, um, the council wanted to be able to provide direction as to what they were intending to see go through the process, be able to have that tonight, rather than, then go through a process and then come to find out what planning commission recommended was maybe not a, a, a starter from the beginning. This this allows you know the process field to, to move forward with this dialogue to happen now. Um, so what I would say is that if we're looking at a 28 foot height requirement, um, we would continue to keep on having the setback requirements, but with no step backs. Is is what I'm what I'm assuming. Because I'll tell you, what I would say that. If you have no step backs, um, a one-story building with a one-story step back is an odd-looking structure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it are, that gives that view quarter that we yeah. were looking for. So that but, but depends on which way the council wants to go. But that was the intent was to to not have the wall of a building. Right, but we're not looking at thirty-five or okay. thirty-five or, or, or three or four-story structures. We're looking at. In trade, uh, I mean, a, a two-story structure is so no step past. That, that is what I would okay. And then, if I could clarify, also, um, are we talking about on land and over water for this height restriction, or just on land? Well, again, I'd like to talk about um, over water being restricted. Period. In, the, in that area. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree, and also. Um, what if, if we get to that, if we do the 28 foot or two foot in my translation, um, do we have to also look at the square footage? So suddenly 30,000 square feet in a two story starts getting big and wide and whatnot. Do we want to kind of bring that in conformity with uh, 28 so that we have the same sort of footprint like Right. That was intended for a 10,000 square foot footprint for three stories. So, um, well, no, I mean, the mass in the when the mass in was stated at 30,000 square feet, that was, I mean, it was not, it was not prescribing a certain height or, or a certain, um, or a certain, um, you know, imagined size, I mean, or height of a, a structure, but what. You know, well, I hear, I hear what you're saying, but still, but, am I not kind of a little bit on the right track there? That if we, if we, uh, I will, I will tell you that if we're going to start going to this, we're going to start delaying the process. If if we right. start going and rewriting, and we can, we well, can do that. Right. right. What basically you're saying is that if even under with a three-foot story limit and a thirty thousand, somebody could propose a two-story that's thirty thousand. Thirty thousand is just a massing figure to work with. Period. Correct. But there should be some limitation on it, though, given the amount of a lot that the building can be built on, correct? Well, you've well, got some large properties. I mean, and setbacks will kind of constrain buildings, too. They don't have many set setbacks. There were just a few setbacks yes. from the river trail and that five feet on the view course. So, so. I, would, I would suggest you remember that, that we're talking about an area 
which has historically been developed at a more urban scale. We're not looking at suburban lawns and looking at, at something which is a, a you know, west side of Portland type of design uh, where you have you know, a suburb, suburbanized um, areas in this area and that's and where we have large 20-foot setbacks of structures. Um, I'll tell you that that really starts prescribing an, an herb, a form which is counter to Astoria as a, as a community, and I and I would would really hope we we not go with a suburban model of urban design with our community. Yeah, when you I mean when you look at Uniontown as it exists, and especially the historic buildings, yeah, they're 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 not step they're not they're right. set back. They're right up against the street, just about. Yeah, it was a, it's a very, it's a very urban. To, to change setbacks, I'm just again trying to understand that relationship when we have codes and mass square foot massing and height limitations, and, and is there a good way to be formulating that, or you know, are they just two separate things, and you just uh, go out there? And Mass and scale relate to the square footage and the height of the building. And by bringing the buildings down, yes, with the 30,000, you could end up with a larger footprint. Um, and without having the setbacks, because it is more of an urban area, um, that could be larger buildings on the lot. Uh, when you start looking at changing all over water development and 30,000 square foot, we may be into splitting this out into two amendments so that we could get the clarifications through first and in a quickly manner so that those are at least corrected and then have additional discussions and a second amendment to look at a more in-depth look at some of those bigger issues would be a, a staff recommendation. One of the things that comes up in this discussion, uh, as I saw it too, is view corridors mm -hmm. and, and how they're set up. So you have 70 foot view corridors and, and each property owner is responsible for half of that. Correct. So with the new building, they have at least 35 feet that they- Only five of that's on their property. The 30 feet would be half of the right of way. The 60 foot right of ways, okay. and it's a 70 foot quarter, so they have a five foot five setback. Foot. Given the reduction from the three-story to the two-story, could we just, with the square footage, reduce that by the same percentage? Would that yeah. be sort of... Well, see, that's why I'm here. That's business. tricky business. And I agree with you about the overwater, not... You know, so, so not being tampered Mayor, with. Mayor, if, if I can yeah, make a statement, please. <laughs> the staff has brought forward a proposal to be able to make quick adjustments to address some of the code provision items that were brought up during some of the recent permits. And, and staff had gathered from council direction that they wanted to try and get some of these items clarified sooner rather than later. That's the reason why we're here tonight. If there are some straightforward changes to the code that the council would like to make tonight to provide direction. We can include them in this process and continue on with this, this quick turnaround. 
If council is wishing to rewrite the Bridge Vista overlay zone, we are not going to be quick. We are so, not going to be able to be nimble, and we're going to need a longer process to be able to complete that. Right, and, I, and I, I appreciate your candor very much. So what we can do tonight, and still maintain the expedited process that you laid out, which has us finishing this process potentially in May, is to go forward with the adjusted language on building height standards in the Bridge Vista overlay zone of 28 feet, stepped down from the previous 35 and 45 feet, which, and not add additional substantive amendments, which are gonna end up yeah, being the, 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 the change in height requirement, both over water, I mean, and on land to 28 feet is a very straightforward change procedurally. Um, as to what the public says, you know, I'm sure there may, may be comments there on, on that, just one way or the other, but but at least that procedurally, we're able to accommodate that. And so can I ask then, if it were a, a, if we're stepping back the height over water as well, would that also affect, let's say that on, uh, at the port, if Bornsteeds wanted to add an additional section of seafood processing plant, which I think their plant is, what is, is that? The, the, right. The, the, they're, no, outside the they're outside this They're outside of Port Proper, okay, on the pier, okay, right. right. And so we have to remember, there, I think we need to look, I mean, the, if you're looking at overwater, um, there are no overwater hotels that are permitted in the Bridge Vista overlay, except for uh, rebuilding the river walk-in. So the code says, no new overwater hotels in the Bridge Vista overlay, except the, the river walk-in is allowed to redevelop, so that there is a, a dispensation for that. No over, no overwater condominium buildings are permitted in the Bridge Vista overlay. And so, that, so there's already, um, and to some of the, I think some of the items of concern from the council with overwater development, I think maybe the Bridge Vista overlay already addresses those. Now there are, um, uh, there is development which is allowed over water within the Bridge Vista overlay, which is more working waterfront related. Uh, and so that, water related types of types of uses. And so that's that's maybe to provide me a little bit more context in terms of, of what the Bridge Vista overlay um, includes in terms of permitted uh, permitted uses over water. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And, and by the way, I, I did <coughs> one of the things about building over water. It's pretty unlikely. It's really expensive right now. It's really hard to build over water. Um, the, Army Corps of Engineers has not made it any easier uh, to build over water. So it's got extraordinarily expensive. I'm likely if anybody will build anything over water Hard to say. at this point. So we can keep our fingers crossed. I do have one more comment, if I may. Um, I understand the need to get these changes expedited, and I, I want that to happen. And I like the 20-foot height limit. Um, but I understand your concern, Council Bronson. Um, so in the future, could we set limitations that would prevent a developer from spreading that 30,000 feet out over a larger footprint so that we end up kind of shooting, shooting ourselves in the foot as far as losing view? Um, not tonight, but in the future. I, I guess I'm not understanding why we can't just, like, maybe it was you who suggested it, um, reduce the percentage of the square footage by one-third per story. And I understand that's grossly simplifying it, but 
Um, and not tonight, but yeah, you, in the future. In yeah, the I mean, I mean future. definitely. I mean, that is something. I think, it, and that's where I think some good discussion and dialogue about about building forum comes into play when you start looking at what happened. You can sometimes get some unintended consequences when you start making kind of. Um, changes independently without looking at what it could do with, with building well, we more. We need to learn more about that, but I think it's an important point to consider. Yeah, we don't I, have to lose view because we're reducing the height limit. I have the same question actually as, as uh, Councilor Brownson did about the square footage. So if we reduce the height, does it still allow for 30,000 foot Square foot, two story building. So, I mean, right. That was one of the things in the beginning when we started the riverfront vision plan was if you allow them slightly higher, then the footprint gets smaller right. so you get larger view corridors through them. A one story building, the full length of a lot, locks your view just like you were talking about on 6th Street. So that's why originally the, they went to the 35 and the 45 was to bring the buildings narrower. So. But there's nothing in the code right now that precludes someone from building a 30,000 square foot structure on, on, on one, one floor. And part of the issue at the time, there was a lot of discussion about that between the Planning Commission and City Council as to what was felt to be appropriate to, so that there could be sizes of structures that would be viable. I will tell you that there are probably some people that, I, I know that there are, there are waterfront property, waterfront on the dry side of land property owners who feel that the 30,000 square foot is uh, too limiting now. And I think that they'll be coming to city council to, to express that. Uh, I just have one more quick thing to say um, about when we talk about certain areas on the river or prioritizing or talking about certain zones differently, um, it really depends on who you talk with because there's certain areas to people that are just as valuable as the next. So on the east end of town, I mean, the Alder, Alderbrook, where Bruce and I live, that stretch of river, uh, to some people is just as important, if not more so, than what we consider to be the urban core. So I, I just want to be really considerate in, um, I know this is a very specific area that we're looking at this evening, but, but when we look at building implications and code for the entire river walk. Um, and it was interesting, Bruce, because I also was curious about the dialysis uh, center. Um, I always get my gas at the Chevron, and I was talking to the guy about it, and the feedback that I've gotten from people, I actually talked to some folks that live um, across, basically across the, right across the street from that. I know Andrea, Nancy, um, and Larry, your daughter, and they're not happy about it because it does block their view, but interestingly enough, a lot of the people that live on that stretch of Bond and Marine, for instance, this isn't really, um, I don't want this to sound disrespectful anyway, but they're, a lot of them are renting and they don't own those particular houses, so they don't see themselves as uh, permanently there. Um, that certainly doesn't mean that they're not concerned about a one-story building blocking their view, but I, it was just interesting that you brought that up because I had the same question about, you know, are people upset about this at all? And that, that was really the only feedback that I got. So, so Mayor, I would actually say, interestingly enough, when, when the dialysis clinic went to public hearing before the 
Historic Landmarks Commission, the Landmarks Commission had them increase the height of the building so there was more historically in character with the structures within the area. Uh, so that, that was something that was felt that it was important that there be a higher a higher parapet wall so that it, it would be more in keeping with architectural um, compatibility with other structures. That's what I'm saying. It's, there's, there is this, this push and pull. Do you have the guidance that you need, Ms. Johnson? I think I do. Because <laughs> there's a transcript that will be available next month. You can read what we said. Let's see what I can do. And as I mentioned, this is that quick fix that we want to get through with the it's open in the future for additional discussions. So if I don't catch something as this, or it's a larger issue, council could direct us to start working, just as we're working on Urban Core right now, to revisit Bridge Vista in the future. So, so Mayor, I, I would like to talk about scheduling of some other code amendments that are coming forward between, um, between uh, work that Ms. Berger and Ms. Johnson are, are working on, on other code amendments that are in play. We've mentioned the urban core amendments that are, that are progressing along and that there's going to be a similar type of meeting at your next council meeting to discuss the planning commission's work on the urban core to be able to be a check-in with the city council to see if there's something that the, the planning commission has done through their last uh, seven months of work uh, that the city council is a non-starter to be able to provide that direction before we start the whole public hearing process. Um, so that's, that's moving forward. Um, we also have code amendments, development code amendments that are required for the transient lodging permit which was established by the City Council last year. We're needing to update our development code to be able to bring that in, uh, into compliance with the permit. Um, and I'll tell you that, that the issue of the transient lodging code amendments is of utmost importance to the Community Development Department staff to be able to, we are starting the process of, of implementing those transient lodging permits and we need consistency through all the codes. Um, we also have some other miscellaneous uh, code amendments that have, are needing to be done uh, to be able to, uh, to address some other uh, items that are just housekeeping items, but also there's some of this miscellaneous process. I'm gonna be frank with you, the Community Development Department is swamped right now. Um, and it is swamped to the point where um, there needs to be some re revision to some processes that make processes more streamlined and easier to be able to process. Um, and we are uh, going to be proposing some code amendments to be able to do that, uh, to be able to make processes um, more um, easy, um, more uh, less time-consuming for our staff. And we are uh, wanting to be able to bring that set of code amendments to you next, uh, which is the transient uh, lodging permits and the other miscellaneous reviews. Um, and uh, so we're looking at um, very quickly moving forward on that to get this process forward and getting the Department of Land Conservation and Development uh, notice out to be able to get that processed. And then followed by the urban core amendments, which would come uh, after um, after that. Um, this is in itself is going to be a daunting task uh, for our planning commission and for our city council. The number of public hearings that you're going to be having, the amount of notices that are going to have to be going out, is going to be daunting for a lot of us, um, including you at uh, this public hearing 
uh, during the public hearing phase. And uh, that really is just the start of additional code amendments um, that are on the back burner, including uh, amendments to the accessory dwelling unit ordinance, um, also work that our planning commission has done on warming centers, um, and those uh, processes would not get started until this summer at the earliest. Um, and so uh, that's, that's where we are just solely on the code amendments uh, that are in the queue uh, moving forward. We have a lot of good work that's done and ready to move forward, um, but um, it is going to be a lot of tight timelines. Uh, and we know that sometimes timelines um, get pushed out because boards and commissions need more time to review those those types of things. So um, that's just I just wanted to give you kind of a you know while we were pushing these these items forward at the same time there was a lot more in the queue and it is the train is heading down the track very fast. You didn't mention Union Town. Um, the, and those those code amendments won't hit us until um, late summer fall. I mean, so that's but we're in process. Yes, yes. Know? So that's yeah. that's taking yeah. a. Yeah, I just said that even in the next uh, six months, it, it's this has been probably the most number of code amendments that I have done in, in my eleven and a half years at the Since city. Since the nineteen with periodic review, <laughs> so this is the most. Well, I, uh, Mr. Estes, I appreciate the reality check. <laughs> and I appreciate you providing your staff some cover. And I understand there may be times when you're going to come to us and say that what I promised you on May 4th, it's going to be June 23rd instead. And that's just the way it is. I know you're working hard, all of you, and you need uh, time off occasionally too, take your vacation days. And we don't expect any staff to be losing vacation days because of, uh, because of any of these changes. I mean, people have to live their lives too. So you know, you'll do the best you can and uh, just let us know if we need to slip dates further. So thank you, thank you all very much for your hard work. Yeah, and let us know any other ways we can support you and help you as well. Discussions like this help us with this code and be an understanding if things do start slowing down because this is pretty intense. But like uh, city manager has just said, some of them are not the fancy codes, it's the ones to make the systems work better for us. And it's not just for staff to have more time, but that means we're reducing the number of permits so that the public can get their projects quicker and may not even need to go through variances or other processes. So it's making it easier on the public also. And next week we'll set our uh, strategic goals for the, the next two years. And hopefully at the end of that meeting you won't want to throw us all out the window. And, and I just have one more little thing that where you were talking about kind of clarifying uh, new construction and major renovation. Um, I just wanted to hope, make sure you're looking at 14115A uh, and B. Um, okay. So I'll just, take, just take a look at them. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So um, for those who have been dedicated enough to stay this long and want to make public comment, uh, it has been an hour and a half since the last break. I am going to take a five minute break. Staff. With Mr. Estes' permission, can you guys can depart, please? Unless you want to want to stay, you're welcome to. If not, have to. And so, please stand up and stretch for five minutes, and we'll be back at five till.
so I'd like to open it up now to uh, public comment on uh, on the la on the previous topic. Cindy Price, PO Box 477, Astoria. I want to say that this is so exciting. This really, I think you're having a historic conversation tonight, really. And uh, you know, I. I I have to, a couple of things came up about history, really, and, and one is I think that uh, civic sentiment about development along the riverfront really hasn't changed uh, since from the riverfront vision plan. Uh, civic sentiment always was for extraordinarily limited development. What has changed is the council, uh, over, particularly over the past four or five years. The council is now much more sensitive and responsive to public sentiment, and that's what's happened, and that's really, really exciting to me because that's what democracy is all about. And also on the um, 45 feet, uh, and and the idea that the planning commission had you know very long public conversation about keeping it that no, you know. Um, uh, then councilor now Mayor Bruce Jones, you had a tremendous impact. On the, on the Planning Commission just at its last meeting agreeing to lower the height to 35 feet. Because when I first came on, there was, it was all 45 feet. It's always just been 45 feet. I don't really know how it started there uh, 10 or 12 years ago, but 45 feet. And uh, in my first presentation um, to Planning Commission, I, I said that Councilor, uh, that the Council, in particular Mayor Jones, had said, well, if you want 35 feet, then change the code. Well, how do you change the code? You change that through the planning commission. The first time I said that, that was like, it wasn't even acknowledged. But something happened in the two weeks between the first time I said it and the second time I said it. And the planning, my colleagues on the planning commission said, you're right. We hear, we hear it that 45 feet is too high. So let's go with 35 feet. The mayor has said he would, he would take a look at that. It's, that's the first time that's ever happened. So 24 feet just was never in anybody's, you know, prayer book. Uh, or maybe it was in the prayer book, but that was it. So thank you for that. Also, um, just one other thing on, uh, on the dialysis center and why people don't, haven't uh, complained about that. I, I think there's uh, two reasons. One is that um, all of us, most of us in, uh, who, or, or most people, I'm, include myself necessarily, who, who want very limited development, understand that it can't be no development. But I think even more interesting is, again, this is history. Um, it's been uh, 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 30 years since the sawmill closed. F more than 40 years since there was much development along the river. When we look at these historic pictures of all the development on the river, that's a, a long time ago. But the, but the number 10 6th Street is within most of our memory, memories, and I think many of us have always felt that that would be redeveloped. So to have a building there is not so onerous. And thank you very much for the work that you've done. Thank you. Hello. Um, Lori Kaplan, 766 Lexington Avenue, Astoria. Um, I have to echo um, Cindy, I think several of us back there were just like joyful at this very nice bunch of really nice people up front listening to what people want 
listening to our concerns, listening to each other, not coming in with a, a preset um, agenda and just humoring us. It's really nice, and it is democracy at its best. And um, to to echo Mayor Jones, you you are doing the right thing, not just doing what you have the right to do. So thank mm -hmm. you so much. And. Um, so I'm here as one of the people from this very loose group called Friends of the Astoria Waterfront. Um, group is really too strong a term, <laughs> but we have circulated petitions and online and real, and I have them here that I will give you. Right now we have more than 400 signatures in about just over a week. And that's with a lot of people not even knowing what we were trying to do. Um, and, and we're bringing these to you as, as a way to show that we want to work, that historians want to work with city council and with staff, that we're not um, adversarial about this. We're not saying you're bad and we're good. That, so this is information for you about what um, historians want. And, and on that, I've been thinking about why does this issue bring up so much stuff in this town? Why do people care so much? Because a lot of small towns, you could have these same issues coming up and there'd be three people in the meeting and da da da. So it occurred to me, one is we're a horizontal town. We look for the horizon. I think that's because of sailing and ships and and it's gorgeous, but it's practical. We want to know what's out there. And the other thing is that we're an adaptable town. We adapted after the fire. We adapted as our fishing and logging economies changed dramatically. And we're thriving in ways that probably, well, I know when I moved here 22 years ago, people couldn't have imagined this. They hoped for it. But getting from that to this is it's because people here are so invested in, in keeping our town livable and wonderful and splendid and, and all the other good adjectives. So um, thank you for, for listening. And I think it's clear that all of us want to, to move forward together. And that's what we'll do. So mm -hmm. who do I give these petitions to? No, Rosemary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not fair. I'll give him to Jimmy. at the very last end of it. I got 40 signatures in, in a day, less than a day. And, you know, I think the consensus is really overwhelming how many people um, feel like we do in this room, how important this is to us to preserve and protect what we have here because it is so special when we're losing it all across the country. And um, so, it, it's, it's, 
overwhelming out there, how strongly people feel about this. And I just want to urge you to um, see this as possibly a priority if you can, because it's extremely important. We have such a precious, precious thing here. And I want to thank you. I'm elated um, that you listen. I, I know the business owners and, you know, but I think in the long run, what will drive the economy is our uniqueness here. We have something so unique here. And I think in the future that will drive the economy. I want to thank you and all of you today for your statements, Joan and Bride. I couldn't have, we couldn't have said it more perfectly. <laughs> so thank you. I just want to thank you. Thank you. Are you not next? Uh, Lisa Morley, 4908 Cedar Street. Um, again, I want to echo everybody else. The, thank you for listening. Um, I have, I took a lot of notes. Uh, I didn't have a pen, so it's all on my phone. So the first question I had when I was listening to all this tonight and while I was reading the petition was, what is that story's vision? Because I think without a vision, we just make a lot of knee-jerk reactions, decisions, you know, based on things as they come up. So um, when Councillor Herman uh, said and read off those statements from the Astoria Riverfront vision plan, I thought that said it all. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering if, even though I was thrilled and elated to go to two feet, <laughs> I'd be good for that, um, I, I don't think that even that aligns with that vision plan, which apparently is an approved vision plan. So I think even these new buildings don't fit in with those three statements that were read off in that vision plan. So I, I encourage you and us to even take a further step back and say, even limiting into that, does that line up with the vision plan that has been approved? Because I, I saw conflict right away. So I, I think we need to take a step further back. And um, so I would say, number one, don't make any changes to that vision plan, stick with that vision plan. And I think without it, I think vision plans or what we have to use to make decisions by. So if we say yes, that either moves us toward that vision, is aligned with that vision, or it's not. So I think, I think that needs to be the litmus test that we're looking at to make these decisions now and moving forward. For the one story, I can tell you the reason I kind of protested, because I didn't know about it until I drove by and it was halfway up. Because <laughs> I would have protested about that. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, um, I'm a, I travel full-time for a living. I live in that story, but I travel full-time for a living. I'm what is known as an executive titanium member at Marriott, which means I spend more nights in a Marriott than I do in my own bed. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want a Marriott here. I don't want it on the riverfront. I don't want it at 35 feet, 45 feet, any feet. Um, and especially, I won't make a decision about where I'm staying, whether or not it has a river view. Where is, where is it? Is it close to where I need to go? Not does it have a river view. So I think we have the opportunity here. The ship hasn't sailed on the Fairfield. And I want to say, so it doesn't have to be a done deal. We still have time to do the right thing for Astoria and Astorians, and let's be courageous and do those right things and be leaders. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And uh, Ms. Molloy, I would point out the Riverfront Vision Plan is available online, astoria.or.us, just, yeah. you, can find, you can read the whole thing. Yeah, I didn't know, but now I do, and I will. <laughs> Hi, uh, 
Elizabeth Menetrade, 3849 Grand Avenue, and uh, I'm feeling very emotional right now because Rosemary, my old friend, we, 2007, yeah, I've said that before, we've been working on this a very long time, and one of the first things we actually talked about at the very beginning was about the views actually from the road. We talked about that as well as from the, the waterfront. I very seldom walk on the riverfront, but I really walk around a lot downtown, and I'm actually up on the hills a lot, and I really enjoy looking down. Uh, actually, on the waterfront, it's nice to be able to see the hills. So it does make a difference to me that it's one story, because I can still see a lot of the hills above. So that's not just a comment. But uh, it was never dreamed, uh, I think someone else said that, that it could be 28 feet, because we were fighting so hard against 45. So to get to 35 was like, so we didn't, didn't even think it was possible. And uh, I was a part of this whole thing at the very, very beginning with petitions and signs and meetings at the library. And Will, Mr. Van Dusen said, okay, we're gonna do something. And then there was a riverfront committee that was, um, for better or worse, pretty heavily stacked with uh, the business owners and developers and a couple of token people like me who, you know, whatever. Uh, but the people I talked to at the public input meetings were very strongly, they had, we had a lot of workshops where you built things with Legos and made drawings and looked at different kinds of, what do you want it to look like? And overwhelming, it was like open spaces, small buildings. There was overwhelmingly, please, no big things. So. For all those people, uh, hundreds of them that I talk to, and I know there's people who feel differently, I, if I owned a piece of waterfront property, I'd have some feelings. I'm sure that they have some very deep feelings about it. It's their property or their lives are tied up in it. Uh, but for all the people that I talk to, I just thank you very much for being, for, for listening. And uh, it's been quite a journey and we're still on it, but thank you. Thank you. Chris Ferrar, uh, 3023 Harrison Avenue, Astoria. Um, I guess I'll be the tough guy and say, we, you know, what you talked about tonight, a lot of it's very good. Reducing the height's good. But I think it's pretty easy to do uh, a search and replace in a document. Put in the number 30,000. Put the replace value as 20,000. Have the code that way. Then you can re that's the quick fix. Then you can come back and entertain correcting where that becomes a problem. So do the fix it up after you change it to reducing that overall footprint size. There's no sense to having a building that would amount to as much as 100 by 150 feet in size for its footprint on a lot down there. And a couple other things. Um, the business about one-story building and why wasn't it protested, I wouldn't protest it. I'm not against development. I, you've got to allow some development, and it's pretty hard to have less than one story unless you make them go subterranean, which wouldn't be good here. 
So, you know, that's kind of a silly argument to bring up. Why didn't anybody protest the one-story building? Well, obviously, they're not going to protest that. And there's a big difference, although one of the counselors up there I don't think understands that really, really tall buildings actually block your view in a different way than lower down buildings. And the woman that was up here a few minutes ago mentioned how looking back up at the mountains and hills around town and the, the views of the residents up there is important. And you can see that over the top of a one-story building in many cases where you wouldn't over a three-story building or a four-story building, certainly. So there's that. Um, the other thing is, I, I think that you should make the idea of building a hotel anywhere along the waterfront a conditional use, not an outright use in any case. We don't really need more hotel rooms in this town. What that does is bring in a lot of people from outside, either seasonally or episodically on holidays, and stresses out our infrastructure. And our infrastructure includes a lot of the departments that the heads have, have gone home and they deserve to, but fire and police have to be able to evacuate these people and deal with them in all kinds of situations. And so you have to staff up those departments at the expense of staffing up, say, our library or other facilities that would be useful to the people who live here to make this a better town, one that would have lasting benefits that would draw people forever instead of just for a one-night stay. Will Johnson, 509 Kensington Avenue. Thank you, Councilor Rocca. Thank you for starting that ball to roll. You're very productive. It, uh, it's overwhelming and very pleasing to see something like this, as powerful as this, out of someone's suggestion to actually move forward and move quickly. It's amazing. So thank you for that, truly. Thank you all for your comments because they all mean everything to everybody that's here. I'm a uh, <laughs> captain on a boat. I'm on the river every week. So I get that other perspective of the view that we like. So when I go to work in the morning, I do drive through town. And I love the view of the river. But when I'm on the water, I get it on both sides, of course, and 360 degrees. So I get that rare opportunity that not everybody else gets, but I still like it from the road. I was born on the water around Lake Michigan, and I've always been on the water, and always will, as far as I know. So it's a treasure. And this town is a super treasure, and I like to echo so much of what everybody else has already said here. And my thoughts, like Chris, Chris was just talking about, was about the limitation of the number of hotels that are here. So my thought is, is if you don't have any more, then I would think that there would still be more money coming into the rooms that are here. People would be willing to pay more to see the gem that we are preserving here. I bet that would happen. 
Instead of making more rooms that are only partially full a third of the year or less, let's keep it downsizing. Just like we just talked about downsizing the height of the buildings. There's a reason for that. So let's use what we have wisely and preserve it. We all own it. You're responsible for representing us to take that ownership. We ask that you listen. You have listened. We ask that you continue to listen to us. Thank you. Yes. Other comments? Uh, my name is Gordon Treber. I live at 2778 Grand Avenue. I'd like to thank the mayor, city council, city staff. I'm talking about a view of a different perspective though. I just wanted to thank the city and the staff for the Uniontown storefront revitalization grant program that I got to participate in. And I, I just I just came here to say thank you. Uh, short and sweet. <laughs> I'm very glad you're able to take advantage of that. Are there any more comments? Are there any comments on any other topics? Your hand was up first. Sorry, I'm Michelle, I'm a teacher. <laughs> Hi, thank you very much for um, everything you've done tonight. Mayor, I have to say, I'm pretty darn impressed. You know, to just flip and all of a sudden look around, okay, you know, two stories. Your, your name and um, My name is Mia Metcalf, and I live at 3834 Franklin, here in Astoria. So I have a little bit of a, a concern. Um, I moved here six years ago. I'm originally from New York and I lived in California. Six years ago I moved here because I fell in love with Astoria. And um, I have noticed over the last couple of years we have a huge problem with homeless. Um, but the last two weeks um, my home was, um, our car was burglarized. My home, someone was banging on the door really loud and I was very fearful, and they were shaking the door handle, and we called the police. And um, both incidents, I found odd that no police report was made. Um, the second incident, when the woman broke into the car, she had an ankle bracelet on, and uh, my boyfriend tried to hold her, <laughs> stop her from leaving, because he yelled to the neighbor to call the police. And the police seemed to be more concerned with him holding her and never a discussion of why she was trying to steal the car, why she broke into it, why she has an ankle bracelet on. The police told us that they were gonna take her home and that if they were gonna make a charge, they were gonna charge my boyfriend for holding her. I want you to know that I was very upset about that. I felt like, you know, when I walked down on the riverfront, there's fecal material, there's homeless people urinating, smoking. A couple of weeks ago, there were two women screaming and fighting with each other. Um, that's bad enough, but now at my home where I live, it seems that there are certain people that get excused for some pretty bad behavior. I don't know if it's normal in our town to not make a police report, but I think we should have police reports because we need to be collecting some data on exactly what's going on here. Yes, we need affordable housing, 
we also need some controls on some things that are going on. I don't know what the solution is. I would love to be on a committee to try to work towards a solution, um, but it's unacceptable. And I don't particularly care for police officers saying, you know, well, you're lucky you weren't killed. It's just a little vomit. It's just, it's just fecal material. You know, just clean it up and go away because you're so lucky. I will say one last thing. The same woman that broke into the car with the ankle bracelet, three days later, when my boyfriend was jogging, she was right there on our street again. So I hope you take it seriously and we can work together to figure out some solutions. Not acceptable. Thank you for hearing me out. Ms. Metcalf, if, if you could uh, just follow up with me after the meeting, please. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, I thought I saw another hand a minute ago. Anybody else have any comments? Is it a different topic? Yes. This could be made. Yeah, just quickly, um, I wanted to, uh, I, I also wonder if we're not jumping ahead of ourselves as far as traffic goes, because you know, my shop is right on Marine Drive, and I'm very aware of what that looks like, uh, especially in the summer. And it seems to me that Marine Drive is at capacity. So it, it just seems that before we start talking about all this development and all this sort of stuff, that Somewhere along the way, down the road, not now, I know, I understand, that that is, you know, it is a, it's a real issue. I know, I know all of us have, uh, you know, tried to get from one end of town to the other. So um, I, I think that's something we have to consider in all of us as well. I mean, it's just part of the environmental impact and, uh, you know, that's what they Sorry? Oh, sorry, Olinksa, Levy, 509, Kensington. So thank you. Thank you. Any other comments tonight? Thank you for your stamina and for your uh, caring about our community. This uh, concludes tonight's city council meeting. Yeah.